Welcome to Game Face, episode 206 at Sifted Games at Sifted.net. As you can see, I'm in blurry land. <laughs> I'm at home for this episode. Matt is also at home for this episode. How are you hanging in there, Matt? Uh, I'm doing all right. I got my own blur. This is blur. <laughs> That's, That's pretty sweet. Joke. Hey, Matt, mess around um, with the lights you got back there. Oh yeah, these are my. Uh, I had them on last year, last week, just on on white, but I can change the color. Yeah, check the look at the lights back there on his cases. That is freaking sweet. How you hanging in there, it. Matt? Through quarantine, have you? Are you starting to go crazy yet? No, no more than usual. I mean, I. <laughs> I'm, it gets weird. Like this is the longest I've ever gone without seeing another human being. Like yeah. Other than like passing people on the street that I don't know or whatever, so like that's starting to grind on me because I am something of an extrovert. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, apparently we got six more weeks of this, so at least so better get used to it. Yeah, I will admit um, it is starting to drive me crazy. I think everyone's at this point. Uh, the other thing for us is that we were had the shelter in place order far earlier than most everyone else. We've been doing it for like three weeks now. Uh, my mm. mom, for instance, just got it like a shelter in place last week. So we've already been doing this for a while. And yeah, it started to drive me crazy, man. Like you, I really would like some uh, human interaction. Um, as of right now, the only person that we have back at the mothership is Mitch. What's going on, Mitch? What's it like being in there by yourself for this show? It's it's weird being here for me anyway. It's weird. I will admit it's I'm not hearing voices to my left. And it's a little strange, but... Uh, we're going to make it. I mean, it's been since we sheltered in place, uh, we kind of been in the studio on our own a lot more often and it's kind of been getting used to, but doing the show like this yeah. is really strange. Uh, just note hype level number one, already reached yep, level I one. I just saw it. So that is one advantage of me doing the show here is I kind of have like a workstation here where I can see everything. So I can see the rundown of the show. I can see the chat. So some parts of the show I think will be improved, but in all honesty, I'm just glad that the show is up and going at all right now. Um, so, yeah, like you guys, we're just kind of staying at home, doing what we can to try to get this over with as quickly as possible. We're going crazy just like you are. But the good news is we're all huge gamers. And my friends who are not gamers have been literally losing their minds. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this or not, but the PlayStation 4 right now is sold out like everywhere because... People, once they got into the quarantine, were like, you know what? Maybe I should check out the latest video games. Um, but we're already so there. The Switch. the Switch is sold out, too? Hard, it's very hard to find a Switch, that, a non-light, uh, a regular Switch. Yeah. So um, the good news is, is we were well-equipped for this. But even at that, I feel like even we are at this point starting to <laughs> crack up a little bit. So... But the good news is there's some hot video games coming out. There's some big stories to talk about this week. And we're here to do that for you guys because I feel like shows like this help you help you kind of get away from the insanity that's going on in the real world right now. So we're going to kick things off with a game we've talked about a ton of times on Game Phase. And we're probably going to talk about it a ton of more times. And that is The Last of Us Part 2, this elusive unicorn that it feels like we've been chasing after now for years and years and it just when it seems like it's within our grasp it just slips away again um it has been delayed for a second time 
um, from its May 29th date to an indefinite date. Uh, that is not especially encouraging. The official word from Naughty Dog is that it's a logistics issue. Uh, Matt, do you believe that, that it's a logistics thing, or do you think that they've just run the numbers and maybe the financials of it aren't working out right now? I mean, I think that is the logistics. Yeah. Like, that's that's the thing, is you can't... It's one thing to launch stuff like Final Fantasy VII this week, because, like, the copies are already printed and in the pipeline and everything, but you're not... Like, the factories aren't running necessarily. You can't get mass, mass distribution in time, and... Frankly, people aren't going to be able to go out to stores and buy it, so you're going to have to push it back. And I know people are they're like, oh, just release it digitally. Yeah, that's not how anything works. So it, they need those those physical sales because, as we talked about before, you're probably creeping up on 50-50 digital physical right now, but you can't cut those th- that 50% out and expect to make your money back on a game that probably costs $200 million to make. Uh, and it's not like just... You know, oh, something wrong with Last of Us because they also delayed Iron Man VR. The same yep, thing. They did. So, yeah. This is this is how it's going to work. Like this is you know Sony's job is to make money for themselves, and that's that's the end of it. Like they cannot. It's just like how Marvel can't throw out the Black Widow movie on Disney Plus. You can't spend two hundred million dollars on something and just just give it to somebody. Like you can't. Uh, that's not how any comics works so yeah this was expected to me um especially once governors started talking about how like okay probably two months probably may maybe june uh in terms of the lockdown um my guess is we will see last of us 2 probably near the end of the summer so you, you don't think it's that far away then depends on when the lockdown stuff eases up i mean because you saw that they like, refunded all pre-orders for the game sony did mm-hmm. what does that tell you that tells me they had to take it off the store, so they no longer have that entry on there, and everybody gets their stuff back, basically. Um, and also, it tells me that they don't know how many copies they're going to be able to print in terms of the physical pre-orders. Like they, they don't know if they can meet that demand anymore, which I think is why the physical pre-orders, including the collector's editions, are being refunded. I mean, who knows how long it'll take some of the factory stuff to spin up again, and if you'll ever be, even be able to get the, fa- the, the, pre- the collector's edition goodies made. You know, that's not going to be priority by any stretch of the imagination as industry starts to come back to life. I think another big um, thing even if it's, you you got to think about is Ghost of Tsushima probably will be pushed back if if they're wanting yeah. on Last of Us Part 2 to launch before it like it's intentioned. I don't know also, I mean, that. if Ghost, I don't if know Ghost of Tsushima slips... No, if Ghost of Tsushima slips, it'll be because this extends and they can't get the copies of that printed either. Like, yeah, it's I mean, not because it's not like the movies where they're like shifting everything back. That's not going to happen with these two games. The only reason it would be delayed is, is if, like, The Last of Us Part Two, they just can't manufacture enough of them. That would be the yeah. only reason. But if you can't um, manufacture The Last of Us Part Two, can't you not manufacture any Ghost of Tsushima? Like, wouldn't they? Wouldn't the priority be first to do manufactured discs for Naughty Dog's game? Because it was supposed to come not out if you first? don't have to move the schedule. If the schedule for Ghost of Tsushima production can be stay on track, because the Chinese factories or whoever overseas factories are spooling back up again, you don't rearrange that schedule just to rearrange it for the sake of that. Like you're still selling The Last of Us Part Two in the same financial year, so you basically find the opening, and they would probably have the opening later to midsummer because they don't seem to have anything scheduled for August right now. Thanks for the bits, Mick Womble, by the way. I see him there in the chat, man. Appreciate it. Um, to me, this really shows just how important the launch window is. I mean, Sony's oh, yeah. basically saying that we're not confident that if we don't 
go all in on day one. We're going to sell enough of this game. I mean, they could put it out digitally, but mm. for whatever reason, PlayStation seems to think if you don't do that dual-pronged approach with both the retail and the digital at the same time, that it could somehow be detrimental to the sales of the game. But I, I don't know if I'm seeing that logic. Do you think that that's true, Matt? Of course it is. Yeah? Like, half the sales of these things, if not more, especially on these mainstream hits, are going to be physical. Things you pick up in Walmart, things you pick up at Best Buy when you see them. I, I get that, but do you think that sporting events like digital have, will keep people from buying physical later, though? I think so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't keep you the word of, you know, they want to keep that. I mean, Sony obviously is changing their scope of things with not going to E3 and all the, and keeping quiet and da 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 da. But the tried and true method of the dual prong assault and the word of mouth being like kind of critical mass and like even if someone buys something digital like I would, if I tell my friends up north how great this thing is, they're going to go buy a disc. They don't buy it digitally. Yeah, um, and I don't. I think Sony's very wary of short circuiting that cycle um, because that cycle is still a very real thing, even if digital sales are creeping up. Um, my my remaining litmus test on this is going to be if Nintendo still puts uh, Xenoblade out, mm-hmm. um, which I think they probably will. Like I think the cartridges get made earlier than the discs, um, so they probably already have those done. I mean, but, a lot of uh, it depends on where their manufacturing is. You know, what country yeah. the bulk of their manufacturing is in. Japan has been lucky. It hasn't got hit especially hard, but not all Nintendo's production happens in Japan. So, no, I don't think their, a lot of their physical production happens in Japan, but we'll see what happens. I feel if they thought there was a chance that that was going to slip, they wouldn't have put it in the direct the way they did. Um, also, that that gives it May 29th all to itself, which is probably a good thing for the, for for Xenoblade. But uh, we'll see what Nintendo does moving forward. Yeah, Matt, when do you think we're going to see this game? I mean, you said uh, you think late summer is what, is that when? If if the lockdowns get eased and things in in this and another second surge doesn't spike by July, which is very possible if everybody sees oh we're free and everybody goes and goes to the fucking club and uh, doesn't pay <laughs> attention to what this is, you know, like it's going to be very interesting moving out of this and if people can kind of control themselves uh, moving forward and not like short circuit the whole thing by mass gathering for no good reason. Um, you're going to have to take it slow. We're going to have to be very careful about, you know, some kind of antibody testing. There's a serum test for that that's in production right now. I got approved last Thursday. That'll be a home test, like a, like a diabetes test. Um, so the, like, there's going to be a thing where you're going to have to prove that you're, an, you're immune, basically, to be out in public on, on a regular basis. Um, if that can all be worked out and controlled and we don't, like, make, all our, make ourselves sick all over again by July, I could see like a limited form of industry coming back and Sony being comfortable launching it in August or September. Um, the other option, of course, is just to delay it until the PlayStation 5 comes out to ride that hype wave, which is not impossible, yeah. but that would be a worst-case scenario as far as I'm concerned in terms of this game. What are the drawbacks, if any, to having a game that jumps around release dates like this? So it had two dates, and then it's delayed indefinitely, and then you refund the pre-orders... Do you lose any momentum throughout the course no, of all this? Not for this game. No, this game's bulletproof. Um, I, I also don't think the first delay matters that much because it was just sort of a date they put down and the, and the, the, the core demographics knew about it, but mainstream didn't. 
canceling the the date this close and refunding pre-orders and pulling it from the PSN store, like that's interesting. Like that's yeah. something I don't think we've seen before. Exactly. Um, so I'm just so, wondering, like, what kind of impact that has. But I, I, think, I don't think I, I don't think, think it has right. anything. I don't think anyone's yeah. going to not buy this game because of that. That was interested before, and anybody that was only vaguely interested or might buy it once they find out about it doesn't know this happened. So it's uh, it's pretty bulletproof. Um, I think if they can get it out before the PS5 launch, that's probably smart because that's one less thing to buy at launch. Um, I, think I do think there's a chance that what you said happens, though, that they just yeah, get to the point where they're like, you know what, like, let's just wait and we'll just release yeah. it for both systems on the same day. They have the time to like slap on like a PS5 enhanced mode for it and yeah. you can sell it for both and just like it's another thing you can sell the new system on the back of. So yeah. not impossible. It could happen. They Especially have time now. Because <laughs> Naughty Dog said the game's basically done, that they're squashing yep. the last couple bugs left in the game. So now they actually have time, and I'm sure they'll do more polish because that's what Naughty Dog does. But now they have time to maybe do a couple other things, like maybe get it ready for an impressive PlayStation 5 uh, debut yeah. as well. So Also, like I've seen people that's it's like, oh, it's because they don't want to release something about a post-apocalyptic thing in the middle of this. No, they, they also delayed Iron Man, which is <laughs> it's not, it has nothing to do with content. It's you know, I'll say this, like, I haven't found that pop culture content based on end times, apocalypse, outbreaks, they haven't really, like, unsettled me. Like, I thought they might mm -hmm. because of what's going on, but they haven't really impacted me any more than they normally would have, which is weird. Pa watching no. Pandemic the first Although time I was... I will say, uh, um, I watched, uh, I did a little Marvel... What? Everything froze up for a second there. Oh, I've got you still. Um, the uh, I, I watched a little Marvel marathon. Um, did uh, Civil War, Infinity War, and Endgame. And I will say this: watching Endgame now is a very different situation. Uh, there's some there's some very interesting moments in that now that we've kind of done through, gone through this and like. Uh, but it, it didn't like affect me in anything. But I was like, oh, I different things jump out at me about this now. Yeah, you didn't pick uh, up on it when you watched it back when. Yeah, before all this started, it's just crazy. I it's don't like our whole to interrupt the conversation, but Sony just posted the PlayStation 5 controller. It did. Uh -huh. It's on chat. There's a link there to click on. I already looked at it. Interesting. It's there's a link in chat. Okay, there's let's a take a look. I chat. wish I could send a video to you so we could put it up. Unfortunately, I can't. Uh -huh. Oh wow. I mean, that I can run to the studio and try departure. to pull it up on the screen and do a shared screen or something, but um, that's the only thing. Well, whatever do. goes on that screen will be shared. We'll just we can maybe edit it in, but I'm sure everyone in chat's looking at it right now. Wow. It looks completely different. Yeah, it looks like that you is melded a massive a, change. An Xbox controller with a PlayStation controller a bit. No, yeah, still it's... got the sticks in the same place. That's I, what's I meant in place, regards the to the grip. The shape so, is very the shape. the shape is very Xbox. Yeah. Yeah, they it's got rid the of like the, Yeah, it doesn't have like the prongs, the defined prongs. Yeah, it almost looks does. like a Mad Cat's version of a controller. It does. Yeah. But it does look futuristic. I'll say that. Do you think the <laughs> do you think yeah, the console is going to be color. white to match the controller? Cuz the controller is very white, not black like usual. Yeah, I mean, it's very possible, or it's possible they could have, you know, two color combinations at launch. Who knows? Yeah, um, it, it's, it's been it's done before. Is a Zebra controller, a Zebra console? Does it have yeah, and this is official. This is a PlayStation blog, so this isn't some kind of fooey. Um, no. Interesting. Huh. Breaking news, this game face happens. 
Live from home. And it I says wish we could it show will it to you guys. Incorporate a- adaptive triggers into the L2 and R2 buttons with dual sense, so you really, really feel tension in the action. So yeah. HD rumble. And it says that the dual sense works along with the Tempest 3D audio tech, which is what uh, was featured for about a third of the tech presentation for PS5. Yeah. Also a built-in microphone. Yeah. It looks good. I like it. It looks different. Yeah. I mean, it's still got my biggest complaint about the PlayStation controller remains that the sticks are parallel, uh, so that doesn't fix that. But uh, yeah, I'm sure it'll be fine. I've got used to it at this point. So I can use both with, with equal uh, skill, I think, at this point. But I mean, there I'm you just, go. I'm just never going to change it. It's, it's too, that's kind of an iconic thing to them. The final thing I read on here already, it's saying that there is a create button. So they're expanding the share button to offer a create button. Um, which will be new ways of players to create epic gameplay content. So I think this is interesting because if you look at, I follow, I follow Corey Barlog on Twitter, and people send him all the time God of War kind of shot cinematically with some sequences of moves that they do, whether that's like Kratos did a slash with the axe, and then he did a dodge, and then a finisher, and they kind of played with the camera angles to make it cinematic. I wonder if this is kind of response to that to give people more features to give that ability. I think they just renamed it because they're going to add more stuff to it. (laughs) Honestly. (laughs) I I think it's as simple as that. But uh, Because I think that streaming, because you know, I wouldn't be surprised if a camera is built into the PlayStation 5, uh, so streaming is going to be mm-hmm. something that people can just do. Um, and so I think, you know, that button being changed just represents that it's going to be for a lot more than just like saving a screenshot or uploading a video to Twitter or whatever most people do with that. That's what I do with it for the most yeah. part. But, so. but I will bet you that uh, whatever their initiative on how that button works and the stuff you interact with and the people and what they do with it are going to be called PlayStation creators. Well, I'm sure. I mean, it's better than influencers. <laughs> yeah, anything's better than that. Yeah. Although influencer is, is better than EA game changer. Let's also yes, yeah. <laughs> I'll agree with that as well. Uh, so there you go, breaking news live on Game Face episode two zero six. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about a franchise that we're going to talk about again a little later in the show. Uh, but for this topic, we're going to discuss a game that hasn't come out yet, and that is Resident Evil Eight. Uh, We did talk about it in the show a couple weeks ago when these rumors started bubbling up. Since then, they've been confirmed by three separate sources, including, I believe, Eurogamer. Um, At this point, it appears to be a done deal, and there have been more details that have come out even today about Resident Evil 8. Um, Probably the biggest thing is that it does start Ethan from Resident Evil 7. Um, It does share the same first-person perspective, as Resident Evil 7, and that was one thing that we shared with you guys a couple weeks ago when we talked about it. Uh, so it does make sense that it would be a carryover uh, from the last game if it's going to stay in that perspective. Um, the the other thing about it is that the game started out as the next Resident Evil Revelations game. Now, if you guys know that franchise, you know that that has kind of been the throwback series when they want to create new games that are kind of like the old games they tend to put them into the uh, revelation revelations imprint uh, but the game started life is that and i guess capcom got a look at it and was like we really, really like the stuff in this this is going to be resident evil 8 so i got bumped up off the bench uh into the big leagues 
and into the game. Um, I don't know that Ethan from Resident Evil 7 was all that great of a character by the end of the game. I can't say I cared a whole lot about him. Matt, did you ever end up playing Resident Evil 7? Nope. You didn't. Um, I, I think first person is a mistake going forward for this series. Um, uh, as part of the problem is I think Ethan just feels like you. Yeah. Like, it, it's not really establishing him as anything. They do show him in cutscenes a good bit in the game. Um, so you do see him like and you to do me. get like, to I, know him. I wouldn't be able to tell him. Yeah. No, you're right. You're absolutely I right. Don't, I just don't think it's there. And uh, having begun as Resident, Resident Evil Revelations 3 is interesting, like, because such disparate ideas between the, the seven and those yeah. games like makes me wonder like what carried over and what or, right. or if they were just gonna if or if or if there was some kind of initiative to be like oh res all resident evil is going to be first person horror now but then like the remakes hit it big and they're like oh well maybe we just move forward with eight kind of from seven and then the remakes can keep going and revelations can keep going is more of the throwback thing um i don't know like i i I've seen Resident Evil 7 like drop to like 19 bucks recently. Like maybe I'll get to it. It's just I don't look horror is a hard sell for me anyway. First person horror is harder because I just find first person horror mostly annoying. Um like I don't know. Like I I to at this point, frankly. I mean, but that's true of almost every Resident Evil game now. I'm okay with it being in first person because we're getting plenty of third-person Resident Evil games. Now, they're eventually going to run out of games to remaster, but they still got a few more left. Yeah. And the Revelations really series... do one and zero. Yeah. And the Revelations series, they're still making those. They just took one of those games and made it a mainline game, but they're not going to stop making them. So I feel like we're still going to kind of get our fix of even new games with that sort of old style. Um, I'm okay with them pushing things forward. My big hope for Resident Evil 8 is that it's not developed with vr in mind i'm okay with the first person perspective but i feel like the fact that it was also a vr game held it back technically for people who didn't play it in vr um and i know that engine has been reused haha uh for the remakes and the remakes look to me far better than resident evil 7 uh, so the engine yeah. has the capability to do it uh, but just because it was a vr game it seemed like it wasn't that corners were cut. It just didn't have all the whiz-bang effects that I expect from games in 2020. So I'm okay with first person, but not okay if they're building this first to work on PlayStation VR 2 or any other HMD. I hope that they just make this game to be played in 2D first, and then if they want to adapt it to VR later, that's fine. Uh, that's my big concerns. Now, there were a couple other details that came out just this morning about the game. Um, it appears that the game has hallucinations, a.k.a. insanity effects like Eternal Darkness. Um, I am surprised that it has taken this long for another game to steal that idea. Uh, really, it hasn't been done since Eternal Darkness. Uh, there may be an indie here or there that I just haven't heard about that tries to do something like that. Uh, but I thought it was a great feature of Eternal Darkness and something that should have been used in the genre going forward, but wasn't. How do you feel about it, Matt? You cut out near the end if you asked me a question. I did. I asked you what you how you felt about it. Um, I mean, that's fine. Like I, I don't know how well any of that's going to work in a first person game. Would also be my question. Like one of the reasons the insanity effects worked 
well in Eternal Darkness is because it was third person. You could mess with the menus, you could mess with the presentation, you could mess with the HUD, that kind of thing, and the camera yeah. angles. Like that was a, a big deal. Um, so I don't know. I guess like this would just be hallucinations, or whatever. I believe one of the Fatal Frames did something like that at some oh, point. Yeah. Um, although again, like you say, not exactly what I'd call mainstream. Um, I mean, that's cool. Why do you think it hasn't been copied? Because it's one of those things that when everyone says, talks about Eternal Darkness, the first thing they mention is the insanity effects as the, the strongest part of the game. Why do you think other studios haven't adopted the idea? I don't know. Maybe because it's hard um, yeah. to do well. Uh, the other, And maybe you have to, it's a hard thing to build into the game that can happen at whatever time. You have to be tracking what's happening. you got to have a separate meter system for it. But it's also like sometimes things that seem like they should be really widely copied just aren't. Like one time I asked Cliff Blazinski, like, why do you think no one's uh, stolen the active reload system from Gears? And like, because like almost nobody does that. Like it's popped up in like two games. And like, he's like, I don't know. He was like, he's like, I think it's great. Everybody should steal it. You know, and I'm like, yeah, it's true. Like, it's weird that like it's it's not a thing that people duplicate. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Like sometimes people just don't want to steal, or maybe because they think it's too closely identified with Eternal Darkness, and they Could just be. be compared to a really high quality thing, and they don't want to take that risk. I mean, uh, I don't know. Well, if like, you look we'll see at, how they do with this. Well, if you look at Resident Evil Four when it was originally being made, uh, it was going to be something with ghosts and spirit and spiritual stuff, and it was going to be more supernatural towards instead of being more physical beings, it was going to be more supernatural. And they decided to go away from that because it felt like it didn't match what the series was supposed to be. Um, I, I'm not sure. I, and the one thing I don't know is you probably have to explain to me, what is Wait, what does this have to do with, um, what, what does it have to do with uh, hallucinations or insanity effects? Well, I was going to say, can you explain what the, the insanity effects are? Because I, I don't know what they are, to be honest. Uh, the game would it, it it had there was a bunch of different ones, but one the one that everyone talks about is like a thing would pop up on the screen telling you that your memory card had been corrupted. It like breaks the fourth wall in a lot of cases and messes with you as the player. Um, oh, similar to like Metal Gear. Some yeah, some of the stuff that Kojima's done with Metal Gear a little yeah. bit, but it's like the, one of the one of the basic premise of Eternal Darkness is ve it's very Lovecraft, and one of the one of the staples of Lovecraft is that just seeing the weird things like can make you go crazy. So Eternal Darkness has a sanity meter that drops whenever you see things or see something horrifying and you can get the sanity back by either using magic or killing uh, the things. But if it as it drops, like the camera angle shifts to like more tilted and like as it drops even further, like you'll start to you'll walk in a room and your character's head will explode and then like suddenly it'll pop back to the previous room and they'll be like, oh, this isn't happening and like stuff like that. And then periodically you can get stuff that like uh, says you're gonna it's erasing your memory card or it's changing the video input on your TV. See, hearing or, that um, kind of stuff really doesn't you know, drive what Resident Evil has been, and it's been a practical series mm -hmm. that adds sci-fi to it in regards to a virus. Uh, the part of having... Resident Evil is not, not psychological horror. Yeah, right. exactly. It's a, it's, it's a horror survival type game, and, it, and you know, we'll talk about Resident Evil 3, but that dives into some, like, psychological effects of the repercussions from the games, but I don't... I could never... I, I don't know how they, you would make that work and make it feel as it's still Resident Evil because you're losing the practicality of the Did you the play Resident Evil 7, Mitch? I did. I Yeah, I played okay. every Resident Evil so far. I mean, that was psychological horror for the most part. Um, I would... 
not to the point that you guys are talking about in regards to the insanity effect. Where I mean, not on the level of like Arcus, going insane. more so than Resident Evil has been. Yeah, Ethan was like going insane. Like that scene at the table with the family, he's losing his mind. I mean, most of the scares in that are not like straight up horror jump scares, claws, you know, closet monsters coming out of nowhere. It's tension. It's yes, the but I would, fear what I would of the say unknown. to counter that is I don't Resident Evil 7 is a good game. I don't think it's the best Resident Evil. And I when Matt was talking about the remakes coming out, you know, playing these remakes have made me want those type of games to be the future of Resident Evil, not what not 7 me. was. No, I did completely disagree with that. I, I think being in first person is is okay, but I really prefer the third person. Um, I think they brought in the elements in Resident Evil with the, with the, the more puzzles, the ammo system, uh, the, the uh, bringing in your, you're in a giant house and you kind of maneuver around that area. Uh, that stuff is Resident Evil. The rest of the, with the bakers in that, I think it was they're trying to do something different. And I appreciate them making the attempt, but by the time I finished that game, I did not feel as if it was Resident Evil. When I finished two and three, I was like, man, this is Resident Evil. And I Those games are 20 years old, of course. They're the first games ever made in the franchise. But when they're but when you're doing a remake, you can easily divert from that and they able to elevate the material yet have it have the same feel um, and I think they did it well. And you know, progressively they gone towards action and they moved towards this this direction which it seems to be more mystical and hallucinations and you know, sure could that could they add an insanity to it? Does it make me want to play Resident Evil 8? Not as much after playing these remakes. Yeah, I would actually, agree. Wait, I would actually not as much. Sorry, you both talked. I can't hear what. I would actually agree with Mitch in that a modern take on the third person classic Resident Evil formula would be much more likely to get my attention than another first person horror game. Because I, no, I, I agree with I that. Think the third person I don't think one, that the remakes are the answer. Are the answer that you're talking about, though. But I think the I think the current state of Resident Evil in regards to the remakes, and I've said it before, give me this kind of Resident Evil, but now add new story, new elements to the game. Heck, the dodge mechanic in the third game, we'll get to it. But you know, add new things. Those are the types of things I that really make Resident Evil Resident Evil. Uh, not this psychological. You know, it's a nice try and a nice attempt, and it was enjoyable. But is it that? The I, I would argue I Resident Evil Four no. is also that way, though. I would argue Resident Evil Four is psychological horror. I wouldn't say it. If it's it's completely. I would say it's completely different. It, I would say Resident Evil Four is more action oriented, but I would not say psychological in any capacity. It's like an action movie in a sense. I don't yeah, know. I'm not seeing. I don't see a lot of psychological horror in Resident Evil Four. Like I feel that way. That's the way I took the game. Seriously. Um, I don't. I don't know where that would be. It's just what, big, gross well, what other kind of horror is it? It's just, it's not really horror. It's an action movie with horror elements. It's, yeah. That, I mean, a lot of people have a problem with Resident Evil Four and Five and Six because of that, because they became action movies more than horror. I movies. agree with Five and Six certainly. I don't agree. I mean, I do agree that they did that, but I think that improved it. So. Yep. So th here's some other details. Um, apparently, the new creatures for Resident Evil 8 are based on werewolves. Chew on that one. I don't know if they're zombie werewolves. <laughs> I, I don't know how that's supposed to work. 
Well, it could just be um, an evolution of the zombie dog. And you literally just like add a new virus to it and it turns into a werewolf. I mean, it seems feasible in the universe. I, I will say this. Of all the creatures that I fight in Resident Evil games, do I hate the dogs the most. They are the, <laughs> the most erratic, hardest to shoot because they just dart all over the place there. Capcom has still not learned how to animate a dog even remotely realistically. They just kind of jerk and dart around. They're just really hard to shoot. They're really fast. Um, I hate the dogs pretty much in every Resident Evil game. So I hope to God Resident Evil 8 isn't just a kennel that you have to shoot through. I think it would drive me crazy. Yeah. Are you guys there? Yeah. No, sorry. I just I don't I don't know what to say to that. I mean, I like I I the dogs are kind of a staple. They've been in almost every game and you know, when you start to divert from those things, um I think it's nice to maybe evolve that and make it the werewolf be the new dog for Resident Evil and that would be nice. Um but I just I I think the dogs are fine. You know, they add a new element to the combat. They they make you be on your feet more. They make you use the environment more. Uh I, and they also do give you opportunities to shoot them because they do pause for a few seconds so you can take a shot um, before or they they, they run into a wall and keep running into the wall because their pathfinding's all jacked up. I mean, but that's <laughs> a lot you of could the say creatures that's a zombie as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all the creatures in Resident Evil have terrible pathfinding issues. I mean, you're not they're not supposed to be smart, so it's yeah, not like you the want point. them to have amazing AI, but. Most of the creatures I kill in Resident Evil because they glitch on something and they're just stuck like on a corner or whatever. Like, especially the dogs, uh, because the way that they move, like the game just doesn't seem to be able to account for it for whatever reason. Because everything else moves so dang slow. Maybe that's part of the problem. But yeah, I look. Where do werewolves make sense in Resident Evil? Probably not. Um, everything makes sense in Resident Evil. There's walking plants in Resident Evil. No, no, nothing, <laughs> nothing is off the table in Resident Evil. Yeah, if you can take, a, I think if you when can you take start like adding werewolves, like, though, you're the, you're taking the series into like monster movie territory, and that to me is absolutely not what Resident Evil is. Well, it's always um, I mean, been from the very beginning. Yeah, Frankenstein going to walk through. They've had people like, transforming into res the nemesis and transforming into the tyrant and all that. Like, people have been transforming into things in Resident Evil since the first game. You can make the argument no, no, that. The tyrant monster is Frankenstein. Like you could make that argument. Like as long as he's not Frankenstein, though long, he's not a green dude with electrodes coming out of his head. Werewolves not, are very point. are that, very well established tropes in horror films, and they're typically in monster movies, not in films that would resemble Resident Evil or games that would resemble. You, I mean, you, what's next? But you it, can't it's take, treading in like Castlevania territory now. But are you saying just because there's a werewolf or a similar type of creature that's like a werewolf, we don't know if it's called a werewolf. We, I mean, maybe just by the person's... Yeah, we're discussing this hypothetically. We don't know any of this is true or not. Yeah, but I, that's but the again, whole point of this discussion. I, I know, we don't but know. The, but the thing is, you know, as long as it comes from... Because the, the, the whole point of Resident Evil in regards to the monsters, it's an evolution from a virus, and it comes from something that's living. So if you take a dog and evolve it into a super dog, what do you get? You get a werewolf. Like, what do you, what do you want? <laughs> like, I don't know what you... You don't like the dogs currently, so what do you want them to do? Just not have dogs in general? But why not elevate it and make it better? And yeah, it's going to look like a werewolf, but who cares? It's an evolution. Well, we'll disagree on that one, I guess. 
to me, werewolves are a very well-known horror movie trope as a part of monster movies. They, there's a, there's a they difference. They say they're werewolves. They said they're inspired by werewolves. Right, just and this is a hypothetical discussion that I started with if there are really werewolves in the game. That's the whole that's how this whole I don't think they're saying there's werewolves what I'm what I'm saying is that like I think there's going to be people that can turn into things um whether those are wolves or not I don't know but like that's gonna, probably going to be part I think that's going to be part of the thing is like are these people you're encountering monsters or not like I you know whereas the Resident Evil 7 from what I can gather you didn't have any friendly NPCs in that really it was just you in the house with a bunch of crazy people um, and monsters and stuff. Uh, in this, there, it sounds like maybe there's going to be more interaction with people, and some of those people might turn out to be. Look, we, we don't know. So that, we that don't would know. be my but, guess. But, is like maybe they, that would be my guess. Is if you're inspired by werewolves, you're talking about people turning into monsters, and doesn't have to be wolves. It have to be anything. It could just be everybody turns into tyrants now. Who knows? I mean, the actual statement like, there's was anywhere you can creatures go. based on werewolves. But again, that's irrelevant. The point I was making when I started this discussion is if it is really like kill it with the silver bullet werewolf, that doesn't make sense to me in Resident Evil. That was all I was saying. And you can say it's a mutated dog. No, if it's a werewolf and you can kill it with a silver bullet and it has all the tropes associated with the werewolf. To me, it does not fit in the in the series. It just doesn't. It makes sense in Castlevania. To me, yeah, it doesn't I, make sense no, in Resident I, Evil. In, in that's that all I was context, saying. In that context, I would totally agree with you, but I just don't see that's that. That's all I was saying. Yeah, but that's I would. All I, said. I, I don't I think see that's that a as pretty the big leap off of inspired by Rogue with but this okay. game. Because I go with John Landis uh, when he, as he said, uh, "How do you kill? How do you kill a vampire?" And the answer to that is any way you fucking want because they don't exist. You can do whatever you want. So, like, right. just because there's a werewolf in Resident Evil doesn't mean you're going to need to stockpile silver bullets. Although you might if they decide to add a crafting system because that's good busy work. I mean, there's kind of already a crafting system in the remakes. It's very rudimentary, but, but, but the, it's there. I mean, it was in the original, too, though. I mean, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, combining herbs has been a thing for a long, long time. I mean, it is such surface level crafting but it is there and that is definitely something i could see the franchise getting into more as time goes on um i don't know at the very least we'll i could see. see them mistaking it for actual meaningful content i'm a little down on crafting right now after three weeks of animal crossing let's put it that way <laughs> so i can't see the show but i've seen people say that my video feed is bad um i don't know if you watched sifted hq but my isp is crap and I pay a lot of money for it. And our connection right now is like unusable. So I do apologize for uh, my low video quality. I can't see it, so I don't know. But I saw someone comment about it. So uh, there's nothing I can do. This is the only ISP that they offer here at my building. And I have the best plan. And it's still crap right now. So It looks like more or less okay to me. But I'm obviously on Skype with you, not through the stream. Yeah, um, so it may be degraded through the stream. But it, anyway, it's, it's, not, it's not you have a third background, people may be... Assuming the blurred background is that could um, be it too. Actually, maybe they just think because it's blurred that it's just yeah, a bad. And feed. the blur effect pops on and off in places. Like sometimes your your dresser is in focus and sometimes it isn't. So <laughs> yeah, I'll try to get a better shot together for next week's episode. Uh, but anyway, it sounds like we have we have mixed opinions on the early rumors around Resident Evil Eight. Um, we get probably those... two years to figure it out. So what'd you say? We probably get about two years to figure it out. So. Uh, no, the rumor says it's coming out next year. Yeah, we'll see. I think a lot of stuff's going to slip back as a result of this year. So Because you got to remember, this game was started quite a while ago because it was a Revelations game. I think they said it started in like 2016 or something. So they've already been working on it for like three years plus. So 
It might come out. It should come out next year if, if that's true. It but would we'll make see. sense for Revelations because the other thing um, I forgot to mention within that they they are throwing back a little bit to the originals when they did the Revelation series, but they also tried to experiment in those series um, to maybe bring something to the mainline game. So it is natural that this maybe the Revelations game did so well that they're like this needs to be a mainline game. We'll see. Uh, let's move on. We're going to talk next about E3. I think we've talked about it every episode for the last like month and a half at least because just every week something new, crazy, or something that doesn't make sense happens around E3. Um, so as you guys know, they canceled E3 2020 about, was it a month ago? I guess it was almost a month ago at this point. Right around when stuff started, they were one of the first to, uh, well, at first they didn't cancel and then they did. And then they said they were going to have like an organized digital event with the publishers. Well, so E3 2020 was just canceled, but we just got word that they've already booked the dates for E3 2021. It is happening June 15th to 17th of next year in L.A. Uh, th that, I should mention, is later than E3 usually happens by a little bit. Uh, maybe the dates just didn't fall the way it usually does. But they've already booked the dates for next year's show. They also said, the ESA, that it is Continuing forward with the idea that they're going to change the show and make it different in some way. And that's pretty much all they said. Matt, do you think uh, it was smart for the ESA to announce dates for E3 right when we're in the middle of all this right now? Well, I think they somewhat have to in the sense that, A, you probably have to book that convention center way out. Um, sure. And just sort yeah. of reestablish that, like, yes, we're coming back. We're going to take almost a year of full planning for a game development company to be ready for E3 anyway, so to let them know that's happening is probably wise. Did they have to do that publicly? No, but they also want your damn money. Um, my, here's my thing. Um, obviously, tons of conventions and, and stuff like this are canceled for this year. We should still be asking that question about next year. Yeah. Because we are not we are not going to have a vaccine ready in time for E3 2021. Like E3 2021, Comic-Con 2021, still might not be happening. Like, yeah, we said that when we talked about Gamescom last week. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's not. I mean, so, next year is an X factor still for sure. Yeah. So if I were them, I would definitely be planning for a digital event on top of that, just in case you have a worst case scenario and you have to like push this back too. Um, but I mean, they kind of have to do this, but just to like kind of act like they have confidence in their brand. You know what I mean? Well, funny you should mention the digital event because two days ago. Bethesda announced that it was not going to be a part of the E3 digital event, which I thought was weird. Mm -hmm. I was like, why? Like, you guys usually do big press conferences at E3. You won't even put together some little Nintendo Direct type thing. Well, and then, even because even they showed up last year when they had nothing, really. Right, right. And so today, the ESA announces that it is not having the digital event at all this year. It is off. It is not going to do anything. It said it would help publishers if they decide they want to do their own independent events in any way they could but that's it so also consequently this week ign announced that it's doing some kind of digital thing in june um, and it has started to get publishers on board with that so far it looks like some little guys and nothing none of the big boys yet have signed on to ign's thing but that's really smart on ign's part like step yeah. into the void because 
as a publication, one of the best things you can do is have a tentpole event. And tentpole events, when I used to work at MTV and Viacom, were our award shows. So the Spike Video Game Awards, uh, the Guy's Choice Awards, the Scream Awards, all that type of stuff. Uh, because you can get sponsors to sign on to that stuff where you make big money. So props to IGN. It should have done this a long time ago. It should have had its own con a long time ago. But it's starting to figure it out now. Um, so IGN looks like it's stepping into the void. Matt, do you ever see a, a place where IGN doing this this year could mean that the ESA won't have the door open for it to do it next year? I mean, probably not that drastic because the, what the ESA is going to be after is an event that like people come pe- spend money on and attend. Uh-huh. That's what they want. They want they want tickets sold. Um, uh, so I I feel like that would not be necessarily be something that would cancel out whatever e- the ESA wants E three to be. The question just really becomes: Can you get a major public convention together that soon after with no with no vaccine in place? Um, and on top of that, is E three the thing people would risk their, themselves to do that for? You know, like I oh, saw some people saying like, I will, yeah. like it's the worst place I've to seen go. Two people like we're like. <laughs> Oh, I'd go to Comic-Con. Like, I mean, I wouldn't go to Comic-Con if you pay. I mean, I, I have gone to Comic-Con when people pay me, but I think about it even <laughs> harder now. Um, but, like, I wouldn't risk my life for Comic-Con, but people are thinking, thinking like, yeah, I'd go anyway. And it's just like, okay, well, that's your funeral. But, like, how many or people are going to do else's. that? For it could be someone else's. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And how many people are going to do that for E3 if you think E3 is, A not going to have all the developers and all the publishers that you would expect it to have in the previous years and B, um, like, it's just not what E3 used to be anymore. Like, everyone wants to go to E3. It's like E3, the mecca of video games and stuff, but like, is there a point at which it changes enough that it's no longer that and it's just another convention? Uh, I'll be Matt, honest, it's if right E3 now. doesn't happen for two years in a row, I don't know if it'll ever come back. I mean, because what's going to happen is after this year, and if it happens again next year, the industry's going to evolve. It's going to figure out a way to fill that void that mm-hmm. E3 has left. IGN's already doing it. So yep. if you do that two years in a row, people are going to have it figured out. There's going to be no reason to have E3 after that. I mean, it's yeah. really... I mean, you had 25 of, E3s. Maybe it's time to hang it up. Yeah, I mean, it's sitting on a knife's edge right now. Well, I was yep. going to say, um, for me as a kid, like that the E3, one of the most bummer things about me moving here so far was E3 got canceled. Like That was one of the events I was most looking forward to being able to go to as a fan of games. And uh, seeing E3 kind of dwindle the way it has has been really uninspiring and uh, loses confidence that you know the magic of E3 is no longer there anymore. And it makes me not as excited to go to the event next year. And I think uh, uh, the fact that they can't get their own digital event figured out, that IGN has to swoop up, which I think Square, I mean, they have Square Enix in, on the IGN stream, and I think that's a pretty big publisher to have. Um, so I think that IGN can swoop up these people, but the ESA can't? Like, what the hell is going on? Well, it's not about that. IGN isn't charging people to be on its show. The ESA charges the publishers a metric ton of money to be a part of E3. I mean, yeah. that's what it comes e- down ESA, to. The ESA was almost certainly trying to get, maybe not the amount they've charged for a booth space, but they were probably trying to charge the publishers a certain amount to be part of the digital event. And it wouldn't shock me at all if all the publishers just said, go fuck yourself. 
Yeah, True. we'll pay but, an editor I mean, they, to cut it together so for like five opportunities grand. This year to fix it, they've had so many chances. They they have brought people in to try to fix it. That didn't work out. They all of a sudden had to now cancel the event, and they're going all digital. They still couldn't get it to work out. Like clearly, yeah, but you can't blame a, a a pandemic outbreak on the ESA. I mean, they didn't have any control over the show getting canceled oh, this I'm not year. Blame, I'm not blaming them. I'm. I'm saying that they even can't even pivot when when they can't even fix an issue when you have to cancel your event. They can't even get people to come together and say, hey, we still want E3. Hey, let's make it happen. Do what it takes to make it happen. And clearly, but I don't think the, pub- but the publishers didn't want it. Bethesda bailed. <laughs> There's no sign okay, that the publishers wanted to have a big digital event. That's what we ESA, made up. What the ESA wants E3 to be is exactly what it needs to not be anymore. So the ESA is probably not capable of organizing something that would benefit them the way they want it to, to benefit them, but would also be what the publishers and, to some degree, what we want it to be now. They can't evolve without cutting their own, their own supply chain, basically. Yeah, I mean, the problem is they make all their money off of E3. It's like 70% of the money they make in a year. And so they can't just, like, throw something together for free for publishers. That. And here's the other part of it. it. It all trickles down. So if the ESA doesn't have money from E3, then they don't have money to lobby in Washington to make sure that legislation that tries to hamper or suppress or censor video games in some way is struck down. So the publishers get this. This is one thing that the publishers understand is that it, they need the ESA. They need somebody in Washington lobbying on behalf of the industry. And so... I think ultimately most of the publishers will come around, um, but it's starting to look really dicey. Like I said, it's on like a knife's edge right now. Um, I don't know that E3 could have done anything differently after the outbreak, in all honesty. It canceled the event pretty quickly. And look, I'm no fan of the ESA. I've railed on the ESA countless times on this show. But this is one thing that it did get right, which was canceling E3 way before organizations were canceling stuff. So... You know, the digital event, that's not, why would the ESA even bother with that? And I don't even know that that was ever even really on the table realistically. That was something that, like, us as consumers and gamers made up. We're like, well, we'll just do an all-digital thing. It was like an assumption that was made. No, it was in, it was um, in their announcement. They mentioned it. You're right. They did. But it was a, on my part, it was an assumption that the publishers were going to participate. And I was wrong. It, obviously, Bethesda decided... It wasn't worth doing it. So, I, you know, I don't like the ESA in a lot of cases. I feel like it's made some really bad decisions. Even recently, it's made some really bad decisions, and it hasn't always done what it says it's going to do. But to me, I feel like they've handled E3 2020 about as good as it, it could have, considering the circumstances. Somewhat, That's but I do take. also think that if you, if there was no coronavirus outbreak, I. I think all to some degree, all this did was accelerate the E3 decline timeline about two years. Like I think we'd we'd be here pretty much the same place in 2022 if this hadn't happened. Yeah, because it needs to make money off the show, and that's just not really going to work anymore. Um, I mean, you can make money off of it, but you can't expect the same amount that you've been making all along. It needs to figure out other ways to fundraise and other ways to generate revenue so it can do its work. Did they ever say what happened to the the ticket sales? For this year, did they refund everybody? I did not see anything about that, in all honesty. Neither did I. Because tickets I were on sale, you're right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they have to. You can't just steal somebody's money. Um, yeah, I mean, Comic-Con is, still, <laughs> Comic-Con is still debating 
what happens. Uh, Comic Con is definitely not happening. I don't think. But it hasn't uh, ca- officially canceled. It's not right? officially canceled, and a lot of people. There's a big argument between people that have tickets of like just roll over this year's tickets to next year because nobody wants to go through the. Per- yeah. Um, another uh, caveat to this was. No, oh, okay. so we all have a chance to go next year. But again, I think you are not necessarily looking at a sure thing next year either. Yep. Um, another element that was added to this is that Microsoft also announced today, a lot of big stories broke this morning, that it is basically going all digital until the, the end of summer 2021. Now, it said for conventions and things like that, that they would consider them on a case-by-case basis, but it said it's no longer committed to go to every game show like it has been for the last however two decades or whatever. Um, you just knew that Microsoft would be at every game event, every Gamescom, every everything. Um, and Microsoft has said that it's not going to do that anymore. It still will be at some events, but it's going to look at each one and try to figure out what the opportunity is there before it commits to it. Uh, what do you think this signals, Matt? I think it signals the new normal. Like this yeah. is this is just how it is until there's a vaccine out there that is widespread and widely available. Uh, mass gatherings like a convention are not and Microsoft doesn't want to risk its employees on that because that is a gigantic insurance headache. So it is. Yeah. They, I, you know, I think evaluating each one very carefully is the right thing to do moving forward and saying it now is correct because you have to prepare people for that fact. And almost as important as the vaccine to all this is treatment for people mm-hmm. who, who have it. So it's, uh, I don't know. It's, I mean, it sure does seem like the whole world is just going to be locked behind webcams as I stare into a webcam right now. Like, this I mean, is you're our gonna, new existence. I mean, once testing is more widespread, you're going to be able to like track it a little better. You're going to be able to track people that don't have symptoms because 25 to almost 50% of people in certain areas don't don't show any symptoms, even though they've had the virus. You're going to have anti- antibody serum tests, which were approved last Thursday by the FDA and are in process right now. And those are going to be very simple. Those are not like the the test for the virus with labs and stuff that's literally something you can drop drop a uh, drop a blood on them and it will tell you like a pregnancy test do you have the antibodies for coronavirus um that could be a home test in a lot of cases the thing is going to be you're going to need a way to prove that you are immune there's going to have to be a way to say like an id card or a bracelet or something that says i'm i tested this i've been uh, you know vetted by whatever authority and i can be out in public and i am not going to get other people sick because that's the concern is asymptomatic people passing the virus on Um, and uh, convention is just a giant petri dish for that so until we have something in place you know that kind of covers that gap between the peak the first peak is over versus like we have a way to defeat it and create some kind of herd immunity for through a vaccine we need a way to determine who can and cannot be out and until you have that in place you cannot have large gatherings that's going to be a problem bits. for concerts. It's going to be a problem for yeah. any of that. All that stuff. Tibbs and Bits in chat says, uh, I work in branding for conventions. Most of our clients are planning on moving forward with 2021 events as planned, but there is a lot of uncertainty. So there's someone yeah. who works in the convention industry. Yeah. I mean, you have to in. plan like, like 2021 is happening right now. You have to plan as though it's happening, but we should be ready for the idea that it might not. So if you had to venture to guess right now, is E3 2021 happening? Um, my guess is it's probably not. Me too. And I don't necessarily just mean from the because of vaccine concerns. I mean, who wants to go back to that in terms of the publishers? 
Like, how do you how do you reform that that phalanx? Like, I don't know how you get that back off the ground. I mean, like a lot of things in our society, after this is all over, you're never going to look at them the same way again. Mm -hmm. It's it's this has made us question so many things about how we work and how we live and how we interact with others. Um, and how you manage an industry, even one as big as the gaming industry. And uh, like I said a couple minutes ago, they're going to figure out how to work around this. And then, like Matt said, what's the point of going back? We've got it sorted now. Uh, we have a way to do this without having to give a ton of money to the ESA. So I tend to agree with you, Matt. Like, I really, my, my, I would say I would give about a 30% chance of E3 happening next year. Yeah, I mean, if it does, it's going to be some kind of propped up weekend at Bernie's corpse situation. Yeah, yeah. If like for some reason they all. can't do a physical event, do you think they will still be able to do a like a um, do a digital event with more? I just time? don't think they have any incentive to do that at all. There, there's no. Yeah, no I don't one's think gonna, that's what ESA wants or needs. I think you're right. No one's going to pay them to do that. No one's going to be like, yeah, here's a bunch of money so we can run yeah. our our direct on your website. It's not. They can go direct to their yeah their customers. especially because like you're you're talking about an, you're talking about an industry that all they all know each other. Everybody talks to each other to some degree. It's be pretty pretty simple for the PR companies of all the different major publishers to call each other up on a conference call and be like, okay, let's just all do it the same week. You take this slot, you take this slot, you take this slot, and like so we're not all stepping on each other. And who needs ESA for that? Yep, yep. So. There you go, E3 2021. Things are not looking good, despite the fact that the ESA is putting its best face on right now and announcing dates. Um, but I I don't know, man. It may be the end of what was once probably the most legendary convention in all of entertainment, not just games. Um, it's pretty crazy to see how quickly it's fallen, but that's where we're at. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about Xbox Series X and Phil Spencer, um, another topic related to IGN. Phil Spencer went on an IGN podcast and also did an hour-long interview with IGN this week. He was very, very candid, although with Series X, most of the information is kind of out there already. Um, So what I really wanted to talk about, though, relating to the coverage that IGN did with Phil is that they were asking him about the coronavirus, and I hate to keep talking about this, but it is what it is. That's the world we're living in right now. And they were talking to him about it, and they said, do you see any way that the Xbox Series X could be delayed due to the coronavirus? And this question has been asked of him literally once a week ever since it started, for like two months. And every time he's like, no, we're fine. The way We're way out ahead of it. Our supply chains are going to be all good. He always said it was no problem. This week, when he talked to IGN, he said that it could be a problem. He said things could change. Um, Matt, does that signal to you that he has some new information that might might be changing his mind on this stuff a little bit? No, that signals to me that he's con- he and the rest of them are concerned that the economy will not be in the shape they need it to be by November for to sell a five hundred dollar video game system. Uh huh. So I, you think I think they'll be physically ready in time if they wanted to ship them. But I think what he's talking about there is they are going to evaluate as we get closer to the date whether or not it seems wise to think people have that kind of money if the economy is in a spiral at that point, if they're in a recession, if the recession is in full swing, if we're on the edge of a depression, which is possible. I mean, you know, the, the unemployment numbers are higher than they've ever been in modern times. Like, we just don't know what people are going to have in terms of spending money and disposable income, which as much as entertainment is a necessity in hard times, 
a new console is different from a new video game. Um, so I think that's what they're really looking at. And also, like, if it really is still locking down periodically as as surges come and go, you might be concerned about distribution pipelines for something, you know, a bulky item like a console. Um, so that could be in the back of their mind. But I think the main thing is, are people going to have the money to spend on this thing in November? I, you bring up an interesting point, um, and one that I hadn't thought of, which is why the show is great. But I wonder if... I don't know. Like, I, I feel like if are you just going to delay it indefinitely? It's not like you come out of a recession overnight. Like, this is a process. Mm-hmm. You remember two thousand seven? Like, things didn't even really get back to normal until like twenty ten. So no, it took years, yeah. But I think I don't keep... think you can push it out of the fiscal year. I think that is too crazy. But you could maybe hope that things get better in the spring. Like, I don't know. Like, it's dicey, huh? Or you wait and see what happens after the election. Because the outcome of the election could really affect how people are willing to spend money. That's a good point, too, actually. Yeah, that could have a big effect on whether people that, are confident yeah. that they can spend money. Historically, especially in a negative eco- economic time, the outcome of the election, one way or the other, can really influence buying. So, yep. Do you think Sony pulling uh, Last of Us Part Two and turning it to indefinitely made Microsoft maybe rethink everything? Because... That game is no. maybe get pushed back. No. no, no. I think I think Last of Us Two is entirely logistical in terms of getting things in physical stores. That should not be a as big a concern for the consoles near the end of the year. But the concern for the end of the year is what kind of disposable income are people playing with in a time after this, especially because that's six months later is about when you're st- starting to have the deferred rent start come due. Um, it just might not be the time to do it. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, look, they're both Sony and Microsoft are in a really crappy position. I mean, think about this. You've been developing these platforms probably for five or six years now. Uh, you're finally ready to launch those platforms, and we have literally the worst economic conditions we've had since, like, the 1930s. Uh, I just... I think if it is delayed, I don't think it's because they're trying to avoid the recession, because I don't think that they can. Um, it's not something that even if a president is elected, it could give a little bit of a bump to it, but still it takes a long time for industry to recover, for all the hiring to happen. Um, yeah, but I don't think they're looking at that so much as they're looking at consumer willingness. That's something that you can't determine until we get closer in and they do all their research and they get all the polls done and all that. And I think you'll see a decision from Microsoft in late August, early September as to whether they think that moving into that quarter, people are going to be willing to throw $500 at a new game system. You'll, you'll have a, a clearer outcome, a clearer outlook then. Um, and I don't know what the, the, the criteria for them will be. Like I don't know what the level of risk Microsoft is willing to assume for, for this and to move it or to not move it. Um, I don't know. Like, like we'll, we'll have a clearer picture as we move into fall. And what do you think they should do, Matt? Pain. Do you think they should? Push I have them? no idea. I have no idea. Like, I have no idea what the economic landscape and the consumer buying habits are going to look like in September. And that's when you're going to have to make that choice. I really don't know what what this is going to look like. I don't know what it's going to look like in two weeks. Like, we we are completely uncharted waters here. So, I, I definitely understand why he has decided to start hedging his hedging Microsoft's bets on this thing because it may turn out to be inevitable um and it may turn out to, to not move at all you know like you know but he has to give himself that leeway because we just do not know what the economic and consumer and retail landscape is going to look like in six months i think they should launch them right when they were planning to you're going to have so few units available in the launch window anyway uh, there's more 
than enough uber rich people to snatch up all those units. It wouldn't even be a problem. Um, I just, I just don't see it getting better anytime soon. And I think delaying them by three months or six months or even twelve months, I just don't see much of an advantage in it. Um, you may based also upon be looking at a situation where everything's up in the air. You may also be looking at a situation where development on launch titles has slowed to a crawl because that's true of people sick or people having to work from home or getting logistic, you know, getting things up. Maybe and that's the, the big part of it. Maybe that Halo Infinite right now, the development of that game is starting to get a little dicey, and Microsoft is like, "That's our our killer app." We have to yeah, have it. You don't it. know what's going on in terms of development and having to move everything to work from home, and you know that you don't you don't know what that how that's affecting milestone schedules and stuff like that. They might just not be ready in terms of software. Who knows? That's true. Um, yep. There's a lot of variables here, and we just don't know what we're going to be looking at in six months. Do you think that they would be smart to delay their launch, Matt? Uh, I mean, if the games aren't going to be in place, yeah. Like you, yeah. you can't launch without Halo. You can't launch without your your anchors. Um, it would be very bad news for them if Sony does still have their stuff in place, of course. Um, but if you don't get if Halo's not done, if your big key launch titles aren't done, you can't just throw a console out there and hope people are going to buy it because Mahjong and Godzilla are on it, like the Dreamcast did in Japan. Like that didn't work out too well. Yeah. Uh, and I wouldn't say Microsoft is in a much better position than Sega was at that point. So yeah, I think you need to launch strong. And if your stuff isn't going to be ready because of the the roadblocks that the the lockdown and and the outbreak put you put you under. You got it. You got to make the hard call, but we'll see. I'm sure they're going to try not to. I, I'm I, I'm sure they agree with you and would would prefer to launch on time, but that may not be possible. And then the final tidbit that was shared from Phil Spencer with IGN is that, and this may sadden some people to to hear this, Scalebound is canceled for good. <laughs> so those last glimmers of hopes, those dreams that you had of playing Platinum's crazy dragon fighting game, uh, they are dashed. Microsoft owns the IP. Um, Phil Spencer said that like there are some conflicting statements because a couple months ago, Platinum said that they would love to revive it, but it's in Microsoft's ball or court. And then Phil Spencer said... <laughs> This hasn't even been discussed for like forever. So I don't know who's telling the truth, but the bottom uh, line those is those statements aren't contradictory to me. Really? Like, no. Just just because Platinum says they'd like to do it doesn't mean they've said anything to Microsoft. Hell, that Microsoft might have told them never to call them again. Like we know, like, we yeah. don't know. Um, and like, yeah, if, if the ball's in Microsoft's court, clearly Microsoft has decided to pop the ball and burn the court. So yeah, that's, yeah. That. So it's yeah, Microsoft's in control of this, and Phil Spencer specifically is the guy in charge of this and he says no it's never happening to get over it so scale bound r.i.p uh we, we i feel we, like if there was something like a redeeming factor of scale bound it would be coming back yeah. in some form like there, that, probably game must a piece have, of crap. that game must have sucked yeah like well, the, he I did don't say know. in that interview he's like they could never quite get it there that's what he said so you're probably right it probably was just crappy and it's one of those one of those games that looks great in trailers, and then you go to actually play it, and you realize that's why they're called. That's a really cool called, idea. <laughs> yeah, and that's all it is. Yeah. Sometimes you just games can't. Games with execute. dragons in them have a hard time. Like, the, yeah. like games that really focus on dragons tend to be terrible. I don't know what that is. You remember? You, we all remember Lair. Oh so. yeah. Yeah. One of the most legendary La flops uh, of all time. 
a flying dragon dogfighting sim by the people who made Rogue Squadron? Like, how was that bad? How yeah. did that turn out? And of course, we know it bad because it was a huge article on it and it was basically horrible mismanagement and weird stuff from various companies. And that Factor 5 article from a couple of years ago is amazing. Um, I think that was, that was in Polygon. It was, yeah. That's yeah. also one of those games, though, that looked really good in trailers. Like, you, yeah. the trailer, I mean, people were hyped for that game and then we had to play it. Uh, well, the idea, the, the look, the trailers, the pedigree, the developer body, there was no it downside. It made too much sense. Game. Yeah, it really and did. <laughs> yep. They spit the bit. One of the most disappointing games I can remember in recent memory. I'll say that. Because yeah. I was a big Rogue Squadron Factor 5 guy through, throughout the N64 and GameCube days. And I didn't think they could do wrong, but I was wrong. <laughs> they absolutely Bring that could. collection back, EA. Where's our Rogue Squadron collection? Yeah, I wouldn't be, dude. Everything's getting remade. I wouldn't be surprised if it's almost finished and it gets like it was announced and launched Wii. next Tuesday. Like, I mean, it was finished on the Wii, right? I finished it. It was ready to right. go, and they just never did it because Lucas right. Lucas Arts was being run by crazy people. Yeah, I forgot about that. So anyway, I don't know what. Where would you put the chances of uh, Series X being released this year at now, Matt? I still think it's like 70, 75 yeah. percent. I think you're, they're still pretty committed to doing it, but they just need to give themselves some wiggle room in case, you know, the whole world is on fire and it's not the time to do it. Or in case like their development schedules just go completely out off the rails. What about you, Mitch? What percentage would you put it at the chances of uh, Series X coming out when it's supposed to? Uh, it's, it's hard because it's it's literally every day feels like a week so it's really hard to predict <laughs> um actually someone put on chat really quick and i thought that was a good statement they made is like i can't think about a 500 500 console let alone if i can buy resident evil 3 remake right now so uh um, yeah. i would say 60 percent. i think for some reason working from home is going to push development back and it's going to have to force especially someone like microsoft who really needs a killer first-party lineup to have a shot at this? I'd even go lower. I'd go 50-50 right now that it comes out when it's supposed to. Matt brings up the best point, which is that game development. <laughs> it's it's the one thing that is a true wild card because you can you know how badly the countries have been hit where the factories are that are going to manufacture the console. You can account for that. You can't account for how the outbreak is going to just randomly pop up in different parts of the country. And as you guys know, game developers are all over the place. So it's a huge wild card, not knowing if just all of a sudden one of your studios is going to have to be shut down and they're all going to have to work from home. I mean, I would hope at this point that Microsoft and Sony and Nintendo are already getting their developers to work from home and have like set up a plan so that they can get them set up at home with all the stuff that they need and they can keep making games because this is not going to go away overnight. So well, I would say it's 50-50, but um, mostly driven by software. Well, I was going to say, Druckmann has even said that, you know, transitioning people to work from home just to finish the bugs on The Last of Us Part Two, he said, has been a challenge. So because if you're trying, you have to, have if you're trying to fix bugs, try to develop an entire game. Like, that's... That's crazy. Yeah, well, yeah the logis logistics aside from like developing the entire game, like you're, it's further complicated by the fact that this industry is so secretive, yeah. and you have to have full security, and leaks can happen, and you don't want that. And like that's the thing is like the development question right now is just the is so full of moving pieces that there's just no way to know where you're going to be in the next month. So who knows? 
Well, and I think the final final thing I was going to say about it is football is doing a draft. And GMs right now are talking more about your ISP, your, your speed rate on the internet, to be able to complete their job than football talk. Mm-hmm. And that's probably what developers are talking about right now is like, do you have fast enough internet that you can be able to send this to somebody so they can edit this or did or, or it's more about it. VPN and security. That's that too. The issue. Well, I mean, that's another it, the speed thing, is like, reality. whatever you can leave stuff to upload overnight, like eventually you'll get on the files. But I mean, that is really the big issue more than your ISP speed. It's like making sure assets aren't stolen, making sure your base code isn't stolen, making sure people aren't eavesdropping on emails, they aren't eavesdropping on video me- meetings at your house. Ha- all that stuff is the big issue. that using Zoom. Right. Yeah. Which we were going to try to use for the show today, but we just didn't get it set up in time. So maybe next week. But um but yeah, it's really about security. It's them being nervous about their stuff getting stolen or something leaking out. We did see this week that some Last of Us Part Two footage leaked out of like the Middle East. Um, I don't know where they got it, but somehow someone in the Middle East got the that version of the game and posted some gameplay of it. So yeah, these, um, these teams are worldwide now. We see those yeah. Ubisoft credit lists. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So I think that's really the big, and that's hard to do to make sure that you have security for every, even think about like the testers or whatever, like it's, it's a big job, but I hope that they're doing it already. They're being proactive they They understand that this could be something that goes on for a while. Um, but maybe that's just too much wishful thinking. We'll see, but I would put it at about 50, 50 right now. Cause there's just too much that can happen. Like you just don't know. Like, it's like Matt said, like but, every so two did my days, development like, thing, like drop your percentage. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Big time. Oh yeah, yeah that's, what, that's what I'm here, here to do. Here to do them. Here to kill your hope. I was going to say the. No, the, it's not about that. <laughs> bring up relevant discussion thing. that makes sense. The last thing I was just going to say was I, I we I've been doing noobs this entire time with being with HQ, and I've noticed tons of games have been now listed for 2021, and I wonder it's bec- if if because of the coronavirus, many companies have just uh, developers have just said, say 2021, just so we have plenty of time. But there's a problem with doing that, too. Um, and I think a lot of the sports leagues are going to run into this problem as well because they all want to make sure that their seasons happen. But the problem is when everything does get, quote, back to normal, if it ever really does, everyone's going to have their leagues at once. So you're going to have every sport crammed into like a three month period, which is great for sports fans. I mean, I'm excited about the prospect of that. But as a business, how do you get eyeballs on your game when there's literally like 800 other games going on. And like the NFL in particular makes almost all of its money from TV contracts. And if you can't get eyeballs to every single NFL game like you used to because there's all this other stuff going on, it becomes a problem. And that can also happen with games. So you say if that they are sports, truly think about the movie industry. Holy cow. Yeah, that but thing games, is going to be you, you just brought this. You just brought this up. You yeah. said that you think that maybe they're announcing games for 2021 because of this. Well, what happens then is the same thing. This is the analogy I just gave with sports. Then you have like 8 million releases in like a six to eight month period. And a lot of really good games are going to get drowned out. So I don't think it's with entertainment. It's just as simple as, okay, we just shift everything and just put it and just wait for this big celebration. The world is going to have, and we're just going to unleash the hounds. I think you have to be a little smarter about it. And I do think that the movie industry so smart so far is being smart about it because all they're doing is they're just shifting things down 
Um, they're not like pushing everything to like one date and they're just going to drop it all at once. They're just like saying, okay, as long as this goes on, we'll just keep shifting this movie to the next slot and then that one into the next one. And I think that's how you should look at it. I don't know if it's feasible for big sports leagues to do that. Probably not. But when you're talking about games and film and TV, I think that's the way you got to do it. To be I honest. would just I don't say really quick with the games, movie industry, really. I don't think that's really the case because they are sliding some of their films down. But some of them, I mean, August is packed every single week. There are four horror movies coming out in August. They would never do that in any other situation. So I think as a single company, they are pushing stuff back if they can. But they also are trying to push things that they need to release now uh, as soon as possible. A lot of that stuff's going to move as we get closer to August. Like yep. it'll it'll spread itself out. The thing about the movies, the movies have a different a different pressure on them because games and you know a little similar to to to, to sports, I guess, because they do happen simultaneously. The movie problem is that in order to get the movie industry back on track, you have to have people willing to gather in large numbers in an enclosed space. Uh, you're already yep. looking at the AMC theaters will probably never come back. AMC theaters, if this goes on till like close to June, AMC theaters is going to run out of money, and that's the end of AMC. Yeah, they're like, almost bankrupt the, right now. The theater, the theater industry, not the movie industry, but the theater industry that distributes the movies is going to go through changes like you wouldn't believe here. And I think the, a lot of industries are. I mean, yeah, but, this, but the theater, theater, movie theaters, like how long? Not just like when? When do we get to go outside again? But after we go outside again, how long will it be before people are comfortable sitting in a movie theater again? Sports, like, same deal. Who's going to want to sit with sixty thousand right, people in a right. stadium? But like you said, NFL makes most of its money at, at, with TV deals. Right, movies don't have that. Yep. Like movies are the ones that require, you know, the big money for movies happens because everybody goes to the same room together. You know, that maybe that, it that does. Is, maybe oh. what happens, Matt, is if the theaters do go away, maybe the big networks start paying hundreds of millions of dollars to premiere movies on their networks. And then they treat that from their ad sales perspective as just as another Super Bowl. And the advertisements for those movies are the costs are like through the roof. But, you know, 50 million people are going to watch that movie premiere on NBC or ABC or whatever. I think the industry will eventually never find watch. a way. To I, I would never watch a movie with commercials as a now first time premiere. No way. No way. Fucking hell, am I going to watch the Avengers movie with commercials in it? That's like, I think you're, you're right. Like, that's point. a thing they could try, but it's just not. It's And, and, you're, and the other thing, the, the studios are going to be reluctant to do that because then more people get a cut. Um, I don't know what the movie distribution situation is going to look like moving forward. Like, you might just have other companies rise to fill the void. Because that's the other thing is like, okay, let's say AMC goes out of business and now they can't pay their lease, and the landlord that owns the theater, like, building or the land that the theater's on, like, they have to kick them out and evict them because they haven't paid. They can't pay. But do they? Because, you know, it also isn't, isn't cheap if you're not getting rent anymore. Uh, renovating an entire theater to be something else. Like that yeah. building is probably going to stay a theater, but then who's going to move in? Like that's the, the there's all these questions about like how that all works that no one knows the answers to yet. I'll just um, say this: desperation will really make you change economics textbooks for the rest of our lives. It's going to yeah. be really interesting and disturbing and heartbreaking. I think desperation will make options that seem not so great at first seem a lot better. And if the movie industry really gets to a point where all the theaters are closing, I hate to tell you, but I would not be surprised if some of the smaller films do something like this. Um, I so see them go to video on demand before they would do something like that. 
But who's gonna? But the video on demand company is not gonna give them their entire budget for making the film. They, it won't work that way. They can't generate that much money off of the content. So you, yeah, what well, you have, nobody. Having, well, that's the thing is nobody can afford to give them their entire budget like that. You have to find a new model. But you're you're notice you're only seeing that VOD model with movies that are small. You know, they didn't do that with Black Widow. Right. You know, they did yeah. it with smaller movies. They did it with Onward because Onward had already bombed. Um, but like Trolls World Tour like, is the yeah. only film right now that's coming out in that was supposed to come out in theaters, but is actually coming to video on demand first yeah. instead of right. two. And theaters. that's the type of movie I'm think, talking about. Well, that but the thing is, it's protected like in a sense because it's Universal. Universal owns a television company; they have other assets to bring in revenue, so they're yeah, protected. Yeah, but, but also those, they don't; those assets don't talk to each other. Um, the reason that Trolls World Tour went straight to VOD the way it did is because it's a children's movie and parents are desperate to get the kids to look at something and be out of their way for two hours. Like oh, yeah, that's, that too, absolutely. That's why that movie's yeah. going to sell. Um, it's, but uh, the, by the same token, it's why Wonder Woman is not doing that. Wonder Woman got pushed to August. Yeah. So, because Wonder Woman needs theater revenue to make, it, make up for it. Yeah, and Disney, Disney was thinking really hardcore about maybe going to video on demand because they don't have very many revenue streams right now, and that is something that could give them revenue, but they decided to not do that. Yep. You notice Bob Iger is already talking today about how they intend to reopen the, the parks Yeah. because that revenue stream gone is a big deal. Now they're already talking about having like, 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 you know, the, the laser thermometer things as the, at the entrance. When they search their bag, they'll also take your temperature and see if you're sick. That's not like, good enough. That is not good no. enough. Well, no, there's asymptomatic <laughs> stuff. It's like it's you still have risk. And, but, but, but that's Disney exactly could go what I'm saying. If they don't that's do what this. I was saying about decisions saying. look like, like a better option when you get desperate. I mean, so that's what I'm saying. Is like why why E3 wouldn't happen next year is because you're still going to be in the position where you have to do something like that as security theater. Yeah, and like that's it. You know, because so many people that have this don't have fevers. It doesn't solve anything. Yeah, it doesn't work. It doesn't matter. It's, it, but again, they're getting desperate. And now they're starting to yeah. look at options that they would have considered absurd not that long ago. Now they're starting to be like, hmm, maybe we can make that work. It's right, but on the, the same token of that, that's why I keep talking about that immunity ID bracelet. Yeah. Like why that is going to become a thing because it's the only way we're getting out of here with any kind of timeliness. You're right. I, I agree. I think it's a great idea. All right, let's bring and it back to games. I know that goes against a lot of like things people believe about freedom and tracking and da 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 da. But like you've got people, you know, my my uh, a per somebody I saw had their mom who's from South Korea, a South Korean citizen, went back to South Korea, and because she was from a foreign coming in from a foreign country, they they put they put her in isolation. They put her up in a hotel. They paid for all her meals. They gave her all. I mean, they are way on top of this in a way that we just aren't. But they put an app on her phone that not only tracks her temperature every day through a digital thermometer they gave her, but it tracks where she goes. Yeah. So they know where people are going. And, like, Americans are going to have a big problem with that. Yeah, of course they are. That's it's... the kind of thing that's going to have to happen until the vaccine is widely available. And yeah. until that, industry, movies and games, all this stuff is not going to function properly again. Yep. If Agreed. it ever does. Yep. All right, let's move back to games for the last topic of today's episode. We're going to talk about... No big surprise, the Resident Evil 3 remake. Uh, easily the biggest release of the week. We have another big one coming up on Friday with the Final Fantasy VII remake. We're in remake heaven. Um, so Two very different approaches to that. Certainly. Absolutely. Um, I would argue that uh, the more drastic of the two is definitely Final Fantasy VII. Like, playing oh, Resident yeah. Evil 3, a lot prettier, but still 
a very similar experience to what I experienced way back when the original version came out. Um, a lot of people don't realize that Resident Evil 3 was released just a year after Resident Evil 2 back in the day. And so yeah, it was fast. It was really fast. And therefore, a lot of people, it's been kind of one of the redheaded stepchildren of the franchise for a while. And I think a lot of people just assume that because it came out so quickly, they just didn't dedicate a lot of time to its development. And I would also argue that the runtime of this game also sort of kind of backs up that short development cycle. Um, I don't know how long it took you guys, but I finished it in, I'm guessing, around five and a half hours. I should have looked when I finished it, the actual number, but I didn't. But I, it seemed like I played it for five or six hours before I finished it. That's about how long the original was. So Yeah. Uh, have you finished four- the game, Matt? I haven't played it. Oh, you haven't played it at all? I'm, no, I'm skipping Resident Evil 3. I don't care. Wow. Because he knows I, I like it so much. much. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 knew, I knew Mitch would cover this one. I could not possibly care less about this game. Uh, I have Final Fantasy VII pre-ordered and preloaded, ready to go, but I am sitting this one out. Okay, well then Mitch and I will talk about the Resident Evil 3 remake. Mitch, what did you like most about it? Uh... You know, I think the thing I liked most about this game is it's it's a step up in in, in many ways, and it's not not in from every what? way. From, uh, a step up from what? Step up from the last remake from Resident from Evil Resident 2. Evil Two. Yeah, I think this is a step up. I love the. Oh, I, do, I do not agree with that at all. I, I love this game. This game is my bread and butter. I am so. I, I was nervous after playing the demo, thinking it was going to be too similar to Resident Evil Two remake. And after playing this game, I just want to keep playing it. Like, I have played it three times. I've done three full playthroughs. I was 10 minutes short of an S ranking, uh, and I'm definitely going to go for it. Um, I love the dodging. The dodge mechanic is really well done. If you can get the timing right, it is so satisfying in so many different ways. Um, it's so janky. <laughs> I, I, no, I, like, at first, at first, I uh, yes, this is I the be, content I'm here I, for. I would be <laughs> see. I would be the same with you on that at the very no, beginning. No, it is. Of the game. It's janky. Like but you dodge, you have no idea where you're going to end up. You have no wait. idea where the camera is going to end up. It, it's uh, garbage. I, well, I only. It's dodged. nice that it's added to gameplay, which is generally kind of crap to begin with. Well, so I it's don't, a, it's an addition. But, but I don't dodge forward. I'd only dodge forward. I don't dodge backwards or sideways. I yeah, think it's so awkward I, to do that. But you don't know where you're going to end up. Like, I do. You just it depending on where the enemy is and how you're you are in relation to that enemy. You don't know the exact spot your role is going to finish. You don't because uh, so, it, it's sometimes. context sensitive based upon the enemy. Yeah, that's but, how it works. Yeah, but I I mean, part of the game is being strategic in a sense of, and this is why I also like the game is because um, compared to RE2, there's not as many, there's more zombies in this one. Zombies are a lot more dangerous in this because they are tend to be in tons of herds. And so being very strategic about your movement is really important in this game uh, to be able to survive. So I, I, I think the dodge mechanic... Uh, complements it really really well yeah in some moments are you going to think you can dodge and then all of a sudden you get and run right in front of a zombie yeah of course you are because you should have known the zombie is right there that it's not the right time yeah to but use you the dodge no, no no there. no 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 yeah. no you don't know where you're gonna end up i you don't do. i don't know where you say or where you say you don't know where you're gonna end well, up look I, do. I i can dodge every time 
I can do it every time. I can dodge. I can dodge Nemesis. I can dodge a zombie. But you cannot tell me that you know exactly where your character is going to end up when it starts the dodge animation they're, because it's not consistent. It does not do the same thing every time because there may be, like you said, another zombie behind the one that you dodged around. Like it's not reliable. If you play other games that have these mechanics, it's crap. It's it improves the gameplay. Agreed, because you're not just like the sitting duck, like trying to cruise along the edge of the wall to get around zombies. It makes the game better. But to say it's great or good, I do not agree with that at all. Uh, I, I disagree uh, very much so. I, I think it I think it works really well. And I, I the, the yeah, the mechanic itself, it just works well. I, I disagree. But uh, other uh, things... The chat seems to be on Mitch's side for what it's worth. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I would say the other, the other parts I really like about this game, the... I think the great thing about these remakes is, you know, when we talk about callbacks or, or, or references to things and, you know, this, this game does it well. You know, something like in the scene we just saw, there's chalk on the ground. There's a scene in Resident Evil 3 where you are running and it's iconic in my sense because for once that was the first time I ever seen the city and you kind of understand that there's children there and there are lives before that happened. And in this game, you get the same thing. It's not the, in the exact same spot. It may not be the exact same drawing, but the inspiration from what it was was there. And it just takes it and elevates the material. And I absolutely love every bit of it. Um, I think the story is extremely well done. I think Jill and Carlos are much more fleshed out characters. Jill kind of has a little bit of a storyline in herself of dealing with a P, uh, PTSD from Resident Evil 1 of don't want to be a zombie like she fears becoming a zombie and that's natural to after the experience you went through in in the mansion uh, and so it, it appears periodically throughout the game and I think um, it elevates the character I love what they did with Nemesis I think he as a as a um, I didn't want him to be as tyrant the same thing as tyrant because they're two different types of monsters and I think making him be more of an evolution where he constantly is evolving as a creature because in the original, he only has like three transformations. In this one, he has a bunch. He constantly is changing and transforming, which makes him more menacing every single time, which really uh, pushes what, um, you know, pushes how powerful he is. See, I think once he mutates into something that doesn't chase you around, it loses all the tension. I think he's more effective when he's chasing you around hallway, hallways because what they end up doing with him, and I don't want to spoil too much, right. but what they end up doing with him in the game is every time you have a confrontation with him, it's in like an arena battle. And to me, the tension comes from him in these really tight corridors. Like there was one case where you're in a room and he comes in the room with you and there's a grate on a duct that you have to rip off. I um, mean, he is literally in this little, like, tight, confined room with, like, corridors, like, chasing you around. You have to find a way to stun him long enough so that you can get that grate off. And it's just terrifying grabbing a hold of that grate, hoping to God that you stun him long enough to do that. That is where he's good to me. Um, eventually, they mutate him to a point where he doesn't even really serve that purpose anymore. And he's just like any other video game boss. But I, um, yes. But if he was like that, then it's just Mr. X all over again. And do we and having the same thing is is I don't want I don't want the same thing. I he's he's two there's are two different creatures. They 
will react differently. I didn't say I wanted the same thing. I said he was a better enemy when he operated in that way. Sure, but I I think when in the battlefields, that's what it is and it works. I, I think it brings in the tension because you constantly know, even though you're having the arena battles, he's always there. He's always showing up. And so it brings that tension to you as the character that you have to keep pressing forward as fast as possible. And I, I don't, I mean, the story's fine. I don't think it's anywhere close to good if you compare it to films. In video game land, it's probably a 6 or a 7 out of 10, something like that. Um, I don't feel like they really develop the characters at all other than Jill. Carlos, you see him like three times in the game. He becomes smitten with Jill for like no reason. So they try to force like the romance angle on the two of them, which makes no sense whatsoever. Um, I didn't. There weren't any plot twists that I didn't see coming. Uh, I mean, it's serviceable. I don't think it's a good story. Well, they just. I mean, they followed the game. Like that's that's what the story of the game was. They didn't change uh, a lot. They did some minor tweaks, just like in the the RE2 remake. And you know, that's I I drastically yeah. But you're the you're, story you're, which... you're arguing that it's better than the Resident Evil 2 remake. And I, I cannot think of a in, single in, way in that a gameplay this sense game is, is better than the RE2 remake. I yeah, in a gameplay okay. sense, I'll give you that. I would give you that. Is. I that's, would give you that. And that's the, what the I'm enjoying more about this. The sidestep and the roll does make it better to play. Yeah, I, I think gameplay sense, this is way better than RE2, RE2. And, you know, these two are, they're two different types of games. Like, to be truthfully honest, if you look at RE2 Remake... You could say that's more of an open world type game. You have the the police department. It does expand a little bit farther, but the, they do connect, and it's a big world that you can constantly go to. This is similar to like the new Tomb Raiders, where there are many hubs of many open world areas, but they're not very big. But you are keeping to push forward to go into these areas, and you'll explore them for a little bit and then move on. And I think for Nemesis being the creature that's always pushing you to move forward and also you trying to get out of the city it only makes sense to not be in the same environment the entire game but to just keep moving forward to me resident evil 2 is a real game it has ebbs and flows it has a plot i care about it actually has a big world to explore with new parts that unlock resident evil 3 is an amusement park ride it's it's got a ton of like really subvert i'm looking for gimmicky parts to the game like it's to me playing both of these remakes is it's obvious that resident or at least it seems like resident evil 3 is more closely related to its old game and i feel like resident evil 2 because it had a stronger structure to begin with and with the way that they decided to enhance it or not make changes i just feel like resident evil 2 the remake feels like a modern game i feel like resident evil 3 feels like a really polished game from the era that it came from I could see that. I think also what unfortunately hurts Resident Evil 3 always, and it especially hurts this game, um, first off is, you know, Resident Evil 2 had two storylines. Like that, that, you can't, yep. it's hard to battle against that to say, hey, this game, you know, this story can't be justified in 15 hours. To be frank, I finished it in four hours and 18 minutes on my first playthrough. But that's just because... I'm really good at the Resident Evil games. And so the combat and everything was very similar. There were some new adjustments, but I was able to get through it much quicker, not not feeling like I'm going fast. But um, because there's more, there's those two story elements, the game is going to feel longer, and it's going to have more value in a sense. No, it is, it and, is longer. 
It's it way is. longer. In it. It's like well, more than no, double the size of Resident Evil 3. Well, because of the two campaigns. If you play just one it of those campaigns, but... it's similar in length of one campaign. I'm just trying to like give people context in regards to like how long are we talking here. You know, if... It's four and a half or five. I mean, it's five hours long. That's how long Resident Evil 3 is. That's, I would guess, the average completion time for the game. Five or say six, five and a half hours I would hours say probably. six to seven, but that's just me. Because uh, I, I'm just comparing it to how I speed run it. I can speed run it in two hours to get S ranking in Resident Evil. I mean, two, I just played it, it and, and I half. started at like eleven o'clock, and I finished it at like six p.m. and I ate a couple times in between there. So, oh, sure. <laughs> I mean, it's about five and a half, six hours long. Um, yeah. That is the big hang-up for me with this game. Uh, paying sixty dollars for this game um, is tough unless you really like resistance the multiplayer mode how much time did you spend with that match um i played a i played like five or seven matches of resistance it was okay it's not amazing it's just um have you played I, any of the recent 4v1 games or the asymmetrical games like did you play a uh, world war z or any of that stuff have you played left for dead or any stuff like that i played left for dead and i enjoy okay. that a lot uh I think they're they're almost you can't really compare those two really much because they're so drastically different in regards to what you do in resistance. It's all about kind of puzzle solving three different areas to escape, and then you have the mastermind who's setting up traps and zombies. And I ran into some issues with uh, lag with mine. Uh, a lot of the times when I was shooting, I think it was probably like two tenths of a second off where the, when I shot the gun, it took a little bit extra time for it to hit the face and the face went back. It, it was yeah, a I mean, that weird. could just be your connection right now. Yeah, I mean, I, everyone's connections are crap right now, so I, I wouldn't hold I, that against it. No, and I, th I think that's just something you're going to run into if you're playing this game right now with the connections people are having online right now. But um, I think the balance is okay. It's not amazing. I honestly, it would have been better if they just did a mercenaries mode in RE3. And that's something that should probably, um, the replayability for this game is really nice in RE3 in a sense is um, in, you used to get the mercenaries mode and you would get points that you could spend on things like um, a limited ammo, uh, using not using a, a lock pick. This time you can just play the game and then spend those and you can use those on your speed runs which actually helps and they do have extra difficulties um, higher difficulties than in re2 remake so there is some replayability just in the base game but resistance it's okay i mean look I, i'm not gonna play the campaign again i have no interest in playing the campaign again there's no reason to play the campaign again unless you just want to finish it as fast as you can there's no incentive to do it at all there's no areas that you didn't unlock or didn't see there's no boss fights that you didn't see the first there's nothing there's no extra content that is worth playing through the game again unless you're just trying to beat your best time however i have been or unless you think it's fun what'd you say or if you unless think it's you fun. think or unless you think it's fun yeah i enjoyed things. yeah i did i enjoyed playing through it the first time i wouldn't go back and play it again i didn't find it that much fun and again Ever? someone who, who, who like, played about the original like three years from now no. Would you ever want to revisit it? Uh, dude, if it gets a week away from the game, no. I'll, it, that'll never happen. Like, the chances of that happening were right after I finished it the first time. And once I fought that, I didn't even have an urge, but if I fought that hour-long urge afterwards, that I, I beat it, if, so to speak. But I will say, when I, I finished say, it, I did have the urge of wanting to play more. Yeah, but Mitch, this is your favorite series. 
Yeah. No, of course. Of course. I mean, you got to admit that you are like the world's, and we probably should have said this from the beginning to set the conversation, that you are like the world's biggest Resident Evil fan. Resident Evil is one of my favorite series. Absolutely. Yes. You told me it is your favorite series when we first met. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. Yeah. I have a a couple. So so anyway, um, I do kind of enjoy the, the multiplayer mode in this, and I would even say I'm pleasantly surprised by it. Now, I am not a gigantic asymmetrical multiplayer guy. I've played them all. I've played Friday the 13th. Um, I've, I've played pretty much all the big ones. Um, I played Hunt Showdown. There's like five or six like seminal games in that uh, genre right now, and I've played them all. I've never stuck with any of them for a really long time, but I do have a really good frame of reference for these modes and how they work. And I will say this. This game does manage to find a new twist on it because there is one character who is not in the world physically fighting you, but is basically playing a real-time strategy game with real players in the fe- in the battlefield. Um, I found playing as a mastermind far more interesting and fun than playing as one of the four survivors. But um, playing as the four survivors is also a lot different from most asymmetrical multiplayer games because, as Mitch mentioned, there are objectives going on all over the place. And it's not... So it's not just fight to a safe house, get to the safe house, reload on ammo, fight to the next safe house. There's stuff that happens in between sort of those safe zones in the form of mission objectives. Some are stupid, like just fetch quests, uh, but some of them will be like, you need to destroy like three of these things that are hidden all over the map. Um, There aren't a lot of maps. I think there's like four, but there are multiple configurations for each one. And they make a huge difference because when you look at these maps, You look at them and you think you're going to be able to go wherever you want, but you can't. When you actually get into the maps, there are very delineated pathways that you have to go on. So sometimes you'll be looking and you'll be like, oh, that's right there. And it's 20 feet away, but you really have to go through almost like this spaghetti labyrinthine like path to actually get there. So what it does is it puts you in tough positions where you get trapped in a corner because... The mastermind can spawn crazy enemies. These aren't just like zombies that walk slow. He literally can spawn creatures from like the entire series history and bosses that you fought in the series history. So I found it very different compared to a lot of the other asymmetrical multiplayer games, which is good because it's becoming a crowded genre and it's harder and harder to do that these days. So I was pretty impressed with that. Um, But again, it comes down to the gameplay. And I didn't particularly like the gameplay in the base Resident Evil 3. Everyone's free to have their own opinions. I'm a gameplay first guy. I still think it sucks. And that carries over into this game, into the multiplayer stuff. So it's very awkward. If enemies get close to you, it turns into this weird thing where you're like trying to get oriented um, again. And it's a problem of the level design because everything is they force you into confrontations and there's not enough room for them. And that's where you see... The, in the gameplay and the campaign fall apart as well. If enemies get close to you, you're done. There's really no way to get away from it because of the lack of controls that they give you, and that happens in the multiplayer a lot. Um, however, it moves at a really good pace. A lot of matches in games like this can take like 30 to 40 minutes. Like Most of these matches are over in like 8 to 10 minutes, so you don't have to commit a lot of time to it. Um, they do do a pretty good job of tipping the cap to old Resident Evil games. Uh, the masterminds are characters from old games. Uh, most of the characters that you play as the survivors are at least tangentially related to characters that have appeared in the series before. Um, 
I was pleasantly surprised, but uh, the big question becomes, and for me especially, because a five-hour game for 60 bucks is a no-go for me. So for me, it's a big deal as to whether I'm sticking with the multiplayer, and I, I don't think I'm gonna. Um, I've played it for a few days, I've leveled up pretty well, and look, there's an elaborate like loot box system and leveling up, and every character has a special, and you know, there's power-ups that you can get and things that you can set that give you like unlimited ammo for periods of time and blah 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 all the stuff you've seen in games as a service is here um but i don't i think my big problem is the reliance on this in this game on teamwork is really really big and really important and maybe part of my problem has been i just haven't really played with a good group of people yet i'm sure if i play with a bunch of friends my uh my impressions of it would change but the truth is that when most people play games like this they do not play with friends they play with randos online and that's what i've been doing and it's been a a patchwork experience. I'll have one match that's great, and you're with a bunch of good players, and everyone's working together, and they're reviving each other, and then you'll play with somebody who sees you stuck in a room with a tyrant and, like, laughs and, and walks away. So, like a lot of multiplayer games, it depends a lot on who you're playing with and if they're communicating. But I will say, I was pleasantly surprised by this. So, if you're someone who loves these games, loves this genre then you are someone I would recommend picking up this game because you're going to get a lot more out of it than that five hours that you spend going through the campaign. At least that's my take on it anyway. No, I agree with you 100%. I think if you are a huge fan of Resident Evil, you are going to love this game. Um, if you are an admin fan, I probably would wait till it goes on sale because the, the campaign is yeah. a little bit shorter and a resistance isn't to me, the thing that's going to put it over the top. If it had mercenaries mode built into this plus resistance, I think it might be, depending on how well mercenaries mode was implemented in the game, that I could say it might be worth 60 bucks. But at the moment, I can't tell. I can't recommend it to somebody if they're not going to love the series. Yeah, if I had to choose between a mercenaries mode or this, I would take this. I, I, I've already spent more time with this mode than I ever have with the mercenaries mode. So well, uh, I think the they made the right choice there. Which mercenaries mode they do, because there are two different kinds. Right. The original is similar to this resistance mode where you're trying to go from room to room and get to the end without running out of time, but you add time by killing enemies or you yep. do it. Yeah, we should have mentioned that, that that's what that's how it works. It's and, all based on a timer. Yeah. And as you kill enemies, you add time. If you pick up health or ammo in the world, you lose time. Yeah. Yes. And then in the and then in the Resident Evil 4 version, that one's more of an arena brawler in a sense. Yeah. Just like shoot everything until time runs out. So yeah, and I was I, not a big fan of that at all. I think this honestly. game mechanic would probably be better for the original style of running from room to room, especially with the dodge mechanic. It just it just does it a lot better um but yeah i would i would definitely recommend this for people that love resident evil and look i don't want to say all negative things about the resident evil 3 campaign like i said it's like an amusement park ride and that's for better too it's not just for worse i mean if you like games that just don't let up and it's just hard chart and i mean this game right from the get-go takes off like there's no oh the pacing is like intense the pacing there's like is a two-minute cutscene, and then it just goes for five hours there's really and again this is where i think resident evil 2 is the better game because you do have like the peaks and valleys in resident evil 2 it actually affects me as a player in a multitude of ways other than just like my nerves are frayed and that's what resident evil 3 is it's five hours of your nerves being frayed and then it ends and you're like, I'm glad I did it, but I don't want to do it again. At least that's how the, I 
I could see that, but I think for the story they're trying to tell, which is Jill is get out of the city as fast as possible. Like this is kind of the way you have to do it. You can't meander around a city all day long trying to find the one exit to get out. You have to keep moving from place to place. And then when you realize the place is going to go boom, you got to get the hell out of there. So Yeah, but that's not what the mission – the mission started is that. That was what they at first started to do. But like within an hour of into the game, it's not about escaping as quickly as possible anymore. There's all these other things that pop up that you need to address. So you can't leave. Yeah, things go um, wrong in the process of trying to escape and other circumstances come into play where you have to, you know, put either – put people in front of yourself in regards to saying their needs need to become my needs. And um, that's just humanity in general, I think. And I think they just, they do a good job of it. Yeah. I just, um, I'm just trying to explain to people what it's like to play the game because right now people are sitting there. They're like, dang, five hours. I don't, I didn't really like Friday the 13th when I played it. So I'm probably not going to play that thing very much. And so I'm trying to give people an idea of what that five hours is like. And it is just, it's just stress for five hours straight. Pretty much is what it comes down to. Um, and some people like that, but I just want to make sure that people understand that before they play it. Some people aren't going to like it. Some people, that's exactly what they're looking for in a Resident Evil game. And I just want to make sure we represent it accurately and kind of provide that juxtaposition against the Resident Evil 2 remake so that people know what they're getting into. But I, it, I, I have problems recommending this game for purchase to pretty much anyone unless they're a hardcore asymmetrical multiplayer guy or girl. Um I, wait till it goes on sale. Wait till you can get it like really cheap. Or if you have Redbox, go rent it. This is like the greatest Redbox rental ever. And there are still some out there. I don't know if they're still stocking Redboxes with everything that's going on right now. Maybe not. Um, but if you can find it in a Redbox uh, and you can rent it, I to me that is the perfect way uh, to consume this game. And I do realize a lot of you people are bored out there. <laughs> Even gamers are bored right now. Uh, from being trapped inside. So I understand that you're, it's like that old Saturday Night Live skit, lowered expectations. Like you, you may be cool with stuff now that normally maybe you weren't that cool with. And if that's the case, if you're kind of desperate, then, you know, you need to decide if, you know, that much money per hour of entertainment is worth it to you. Maybe you have a ton of money and you don't give a crap. And if you do have disposable income, you're probably going to buy it anyway. So, but Mitch, you would recommend it to, to for purchase, full price purchase for any Resident Evil fan? Yeah, I'm, th- I'm in the same boat as you. Like, if they're a big fan of Resident Evil, definitely want to pick this one up. Um, and if you are not or on the fence, I'd maybe wait till it goes on sale. But it's still something worth picking up eventually. It's, I'll say that, well, yeah, it's definitely worth picking up eventually, and it's definitely worth playing. Um, how much you want to spend on that is going to be up to you. Um, but, you know, if someday on down the road you see it kicking around on a sale for, like, three bucks, buy it. Like, you're going to have fun for the a limited amount of time that it lasts, I, I pretty much guarantee it. Uh, All right. Someone said that Redbox no longer does game rentals. Uh, oh, that's right. That's right. I, I knew that because someone asked Pac a question about it at one point. I should have remembered, but I did not. So, yeah, I don't know. I It's hard for me to tell you guys to go spend 60 bucks on this. That's just that's where I'll leave it. All right. It's time for Q&A for episode 206. You guys have already been asking questions in here, it looks like. Um, yeah, here's one from Mark Simpson, UK. Uh, is anyone burning out on gaming during this lockdown? Matt, are you burning out? Have you been playing enough to burn out? No, I mean, I haven't been playing a ton. I've been catching up and watching things. Uh, but I've been playing older stuff. 
that I haven't like gotten around to finishing. I've been playing Greedfall. I've been playing um, Assassin's Creed 2. I started a new wow. game of that. <laughs> um, it's really weird to go back to that series and like not just see how far it came, but also see like, oh yeah, this 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 was amazing then. Like this, just the fact that you could run around this this city was amazing then, and now it's like, mm, yep, like they <laughs> added a lot since then. Um, yeah, I, I that's about all I've been playing. Like really, I mean, I played uh, in uh, in Animal Crossing still, and I played uh, a game on the Switch called In Other Waters, um, which is a cheap fifteen dollar indie game. Uh, which I was attracted to because I love extraterrestrial ocean stuff. Scuba. But, yeah. but it's actually, you were the AI helping someone's diving suit through it. And like, it's literally like, it's a bunch of like radar scanners and like everything on it is like a dot on like a sonar dish, a sonar picture. And so you're just literally moving dots around. Yeah, and, you're like, like the text. AI for a diver, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And so you're just seeing <laughs> like an text and... It's weird, and like I, I played a fair amount of it, and I think it's okay. But I, like I said to you before we did the show, I'm like, you probably don't want to put this on the show because it's not, yeah, it's not exactly a scintillating visual. Um, there are a couple people I'm like, oh, you can keep an eye out for this game; it looks really cool. And then I played it, and I'm like, I'm, yeah, everyone just, just back, just, just wait. <laughs> just this may not, this wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It's no, it's no uh, Subnautica. Let's put it that way. What um, about you, Mitch? Are you burning out at all on gaming during uh, lockdown? Are you kidding me? We had Doom Eternal. That was hella fun. Yeah. We had Resident Evil 3 Remake. That's hella fun. We have freaking Final Fantasy on Friday. That's going to be freaking fun. I I don't... If, if, it, if it was... Certain this, definitions of fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was going to say... if it My was, life hasn't changed. I mean, it's, my life yeah. has been no different. I mean, other than not being able to go out at night and, like, get dinner with my wife or, you know, go out on the weekends and do stuff, like... My Monday through Friday is pretty much exactly the same. I play games just as much now as I did 60 days ago, as I did eight months before that, as I did 22 years before that. Like, it's, yeah. I mean, I think once you get to the point where you're doing this, you're probably just never going to burn out on playing video games. I mean, if you can go to E3 and just play games wall-to-wall for, like, five days straight, and then it's over, and you still want to go home and play a game... I don't think you're ever going to burn out on it. So I just think that's where I am. Um, somebody followed up with, um, how are we dealing with a quarantine? That's from Commander Fett 03. Um, I'll start on that one. I'm, I'm really starting to freaking hate it. Like, I'm fed up with it. I'm tired of it. Um, I wish people would listen because the longer they don't listen, the longer this is going to drag on. I'm getting to the point where I'm, like, really angry with people now who aren't doing what they're supposed to. Like, I'm at the point, like, I drove past a farmer's market in L.A. a couple weeks ago that was full of people. And I drove by. I got really angry, but I drove by. If I would do that now, I would stop and go off. I'll be just perfectly honest with you. So, I've reached the end of my rope with the people who don't care as much as other people about other people. Um, because I do very much, and I'm very concerned about my mother's health. She's elderly. I'm very concerned about my my wife's parents. They're elderly. And these people that aren't taking taking it seriously, not only are they putting those people at risk, but they're also making this crap drag on. Like those morons who are spring breaking in Florida, like I'd like to sock them in the mouth. Like their parents should have socked them in the mouth. So I'm just my patience is running out for this and is particularly running out for the people who aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Matt, how are you doing? 
I mean, I don't like being, I mean, I don't mind being inside, but I don't like not being able to see anybody. There's like people I would definitely like to see again, um, three weeks into this. Um, and I'm not like, you know, I, I'm fine by myself, but I also like, you know, I do like to be I'm more extroverted than your average game person it seems from what I'm seeing on Twitter. Um, so it is starting to, to, to grind on me. Um, I have encountered a couple people that don't think the virus is real. Um, then that created a, a situation. Um, I, my patience is at zero with this conspiracy level shit and this, it's a hoax thing and all, and it just, yeah, I can't like, you're not getting any quarter from me on that anymore. Like it's just, you know, there's, I've been blocked by a few people on Facebook. I've, you know, it's, uh, that just can't handle the idea that like, you know, it, this, that someone's not in control. Like this is all fucking happening and it's, it's real. And I know three people who've died from it already. And it's not a joke. Uh, stay the fuck inside so we can get, get over with this and get back to some semblance of normal. Um, because it's, uh, you know, the, the, the skeleton in the cupboard has come home to roost. Uh, we, we were not ready for this, and we are horribly not ready for this. And if you want to know how horribly not ready, uh, look at South Korea because their first case was the same day ours was. Yeah, and they're, and they're doing the great. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say probably for me, it's a it's a little trickier um, just because I moved here in January and like picked up my life and moved to Los Angeles. So I Shane's kind of my only local friend besides my roommates and and, and Matt as well, and so it's it's kind of hard because I haven't made a ton of friends since I've been here because I've been focused on this stuff. And so it's been a little strange and a little difficult. And I kind of just want to go outside and like do things so I can interact with m more people. Well, it sucks well, to move LA someplace is... new and then you're there for like three weeks and then and you're just locked in and you can't, it, yeah, you can't adventure around the city and see all the, I mean, you haven't, you've seen probably one fiftieth of Los Angeles at this point. And you well, can't even worse because like, like LA is such a LA is such a city you have to go to. LA is yeah. such a, yeah. uh, going out and finding things and doing things and if you just, just have to sit and you know, that was the worst when I first moved here in two thousand and I didn't have a real job for a couple months and I was just stuck in the house we were all renting like during these sunny days and like there was nothing to do and everyone else was gone. I mean it's a little better because no one else has anything to do either except work from home. Um, but it was, it's just that thing where like LA is, is, is a weird, sunny torture chamber. If you don't have <laughs> to do and somewhere to be, yeah. um, it's, it's just how it is. Fortunately, uh, so yeah, the weather has not been amazing the last couple of weeks. So it's yeah. at least been yeah. okay to say yeah. I'll stay inside. It's cloudy or it's been raining and it's not been like super sunny and super hot. So at least that helps a little bit, but yeah, the yeah. rain is nice just because it makes it feel like you should be inside. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and so I've just been playing a lot more games. So, like, I finished Yakuza 3 and going to go on to 4. Slagathor, thank you for all the uh, bits and love and subs. We just hit, I think we hit level 3 of the hype train. You did. Thank you. Yes. Um, let's see. We have a couple other questions. Uh, Sneaky Solid Snake asked me if I do not replay games. And I do not. I... Used to, I used to be a completionist. You could go back and look at the saves on like all my old N64 carts and all the original PlayStation games. And probably even through the PlayStation 2 era, I was like that. Where if I played a game, I was going to collect everything in the game. I was going to play it until I'd exhausted all the content. At a certain point, I, it was just no longer feasible uh, for me to do that. And it would have been stupid for me to do that. I always have to keep playing the next game 
so I can tell you guys whether you should spend your money on it. So I can't languish on a game or go back and play a game over and over again. It's like I just finished RE3. I'll probably play the multiplayer for another day. And here's Final Fantasy VII. Like, I just, I can't. I don't have time to do it. I just can't. So I, I that is one thing I envy people who are just gamers, just players, is that they can choose to play what they want as long as they want to play it. And I just simply can't with what I do. So... Um, I play my favorites multiple times. Like, yeah, you replay games all the time, Matt. Yeah, I'm getting. I'm also. I'm honestly getting the itch to replay the Mass Effect trilogy as long as we're stuck here. Like, that's one of my. Fa- I've replayed all those. I played all those games at least three three times each, and I'm getting to the point where I'm like, might be time. Might be time for fourth trilogy playthrough. Yeah. Hey, Slagathor, he hooked us up with, uh, or hooked our users up with subs. Uh, so we're going to answer his question. Uh, do you think the next-gen consoles could see a transition to subscription-slash-contract payment plan similar to cell phone and mobile phones in order to entice consumer purchases in November 2020? I mean, my, Xbox is already kind of doing that with Xbox All Access. Um, you give them like 30 40 50 bucks a month, um, and then they give you a console. Uh, there's still some questions about how that works as far as like when you do pay it off. Do you, have, do you keep paying, or do they just let you keep the console? I'm not a thousand percent sure how that stuff works, but I would say this. It hasn't seemed to make a big difference for Microsoft so far. This isn't new. They've been doing this uh, basically since the middle of this generation. Um, I think they launched it when they launched the Xbox S, One S, I think is when when they launched it, if I remember correctly. So about halfway through this gen, they launched it, and I haven't talked to a lot of people that have been doing it. I haven't heard a lot of chatter about it on social media. So it doesn't seem to be moving the needle um, personally, if I have the money, I pay for a cell phone. I don't go on the payment plan because the first time I did that, I ended up calculating how much I pay for the cell phone. And it was like two and a half times its retail cost. So I try to just pay for it up front. I just bite the bullet up front. And I think most people feel that way with consoles too, but maybe someone else has a different perspective. I mean, it's not something I would ever do. Like you can either afford the luxury item or you can't for the most part. I think cell phones are an easier sell on that kind of thing because you need one to do daily business and to you know live your life in a modern the modern world. Uh, consoles, I don't think, have quite that necessity that would require kind of like getting into a bad deal like that, although All Access is not like that. All Access is just the cost of the console spread out, like a layaway kind of thing. Um, also, I think like the cell phone model works better if you are running your own stores, like... You know, like if you're going into the Apple store or going into the, you know, the Samsung, you know, I, I think the, the industry is just different in that regard. And uh, and the, the impetus to upgrade is there in such greater, uh, such smaller time increments that I think that model makes more sense there. And for consoles, it only come out once every five to six years. I don't think that's quite as quite as relevant. And I feel like individual stores, individual retail chains can handle that sort of payment plan thing on their own. You don't really need the involvement of Sony or Microsoft. Yeah, I'm in agreement okay. with all you. Um, here's one from Tibbs in Bits. Do you think the move to work from home will improve or worsen the conditions of game developers? Apparently, the Last of Us Part Two QA team were still going through brutal crunch at home. Not surprised by that at all. What do you guys think? Yeah, I don't think this is going to impact that much. I think you're still going to have... Uh, ridiculous hours, and because you're at home, it's just going to be like, it's like you're on call 24-7, pretty much. Yeah, but I think I'll the say only this. thing that changes there are advantages is that they to can, from home. I was going to say the only advantage they have would be, you know, they can actually see their family like physically 
instead of having to be in an office and like if they go to bed, they can actually go to bed in their own bed and then wake up early to keep working on the game. But I, I don't I don't know if it I think developers may find a way to make like times to say like, hey, during the final stretch, you guys can work from home so you can crunch at home instead of doing it at the studio if it's as efficient. I think if they get it all set up, absolutely it could change stuff. I really think that if they get it all set up and everybody has what they need from home and they're happy with their security protocols and nothing leaks, I know that's a lot of ifs, but if that all happens, I do think that you could see a shift of developers working from home permanently on projects. And I don't think it's just the gaming industry either. I think that's going to happen in a lot of industries because for years and years we were told you can't work from home, we need you here. Well, we're proving right now that in a lot of businesses that is absolutely not true at all. Yeah, and I also a think a whole these, lot of meetings could have been emails. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think these companies are going to figure it out. They're going to be like, "Wait a minute. We've been paying how much money to provide a home for people to come to?" Like 20,000 people to come to like and we only need a home that will hold 5,000 people okay we're cool with that the overhead goes way down so I think this is going to be a reckoning just across so many industries I think and especially with the financial downturn we're going to have it's going to necessitate that these companies look for ways to pinch pennies and save money what better way than getting rid of that lease on that gigantic crater of a building that you've had all these years for a smaller downsized version that's way cheaper. So I think not just games. I think every industry right now is kind of having a reckoning and they're trying to figure out, you know, when we come back, do we want it to stay this way? And I think a lot of companies are going to say, yeah, they do want it to stay the way it has been over the last few months. Yeah. So we'll see. But and, that's at least what I think is going to happen. And if you work from home, you get to have your cat. That's true. Yeah. Oh, awesome. <laughs> I was going to say the only other thing I would say on top of that would be is, you know, there are statistics to prove that working from home is more efficient than working in an office or even something as simple as doing a four day work week instead of a five day yep. work week cre creates yep. more proficiency with people. So there yep. is there is some benefits that maybe they'll see the upside once people start working from home like they are now. Your cat's crying, Matt. She's growling. She, she doesn't agrees. like being held. Um, here's one last question from one supermaster gamer. Do you think that games as a service will make the next-gen system not successful? Younger games seem to not care about the new systems or graphics. Is innovation dead in the gaming industry? So two questions there. Um, will games as a service make the next-gen games not successful? Next-gen systems not successful? No. I think they'll make them more successful. Probably. I, and also, I don't think I don't think you're seeing that model all that being all that prevalent, really. Like there's a there's a there's a subset of of publishers that are trying to have you know have their game as a service as one of the kind of pillars of their business, but like everything isn't going to game as a service. Like that's just not happening. And, and things like Anthem are going to kill a lot of those ideas in their cradle. Yeah, I think the, so the staples are already there, and they don't have anything to release currently that's going to overtake one of those people. So we haven't seen it as often, um, probably in the last couple of years, than we had in the last like five years. Uh, going back to a prior uh, question or topic, uh, Erebus Jones says that he has an Xbox through All Access, and once you pay it off, it's yours, and there's no interest. So... Um, with that in mind, maybe it does have a better chance of happening. Um, Microsoft is just willing to just flush money down the toilet. It's really remarkable. 
how much money it's willing to lose to try to get a foothold on Generation 9. Um, okay, the next question from one Super Master Gamer. Uh, young, younger gamers seem to not care about uh, new systems or graphics. Is innovation dead in the gaming industry? No. Yeah. When they I would say it's, it never is. I and wished it were. I don't agree with that either. Innovation really? is never dead in the game industry. Innovation is always getting better. Innovation is always moving forward. And I can show you letters from game magazines from 1991 making the same complaint. It's always the same thing. Innovation's dead. Creativity is over. Everything's a clone. No, it's not. It's always moving forward. You're just not looking in the right places. I, I just think, think it's slowed down. I think, also. I think that's I the law that of diminishing returns. It makes perfect, it, but it, it makes perfect sense. It's the law of diminishing returns. Every time somebody comes up with a new idea, it's harder to make the next idea because that idea is off the board. It's and just yet common they sense. Still do. You've got to look beyond AAA space. Indie, indie games have come up with more new ideas in the last ten years than we could have thought of in the ten years before it. Like it's it's constantly moving forward. It's just not necessarily going to come out of like Naughty Dog. You know? well, I just think it's not necessarily going to be in a good game. I mean, that's the problem. They're, sure, people are coming up with ideas. They're just not executing them very well. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I certainly agree with that because execution is ten times more important than innovation. So, yep. well, But I eventually, think, that good idea will be executed well. I think more tools yeah. added into the toolbox um, for next generation, like including the things like 3D audio, you know, those types of things breathe innovation. Like the more tools you can give someone, the more innovative you can be. You can upscale or change and create a whole new idea that you couldn't create before. So I think as long as the tools are increasing and trying new things to offer for developers, the more creativity you'll get still from people and innovation will happen. Um, I think younger gamers are going to, once they see games like Spider-Man 2, they're going to change their mind and go, oh, I want that console. I don't know about that. I think what he's getting at is that a lot of the young audience just plays free-to-play games. And he's right. They do. Mm -hmm. They Did you see the numbers today for Riot's shooter? Like, it set records for Valorant today. They did a stream, and they were giving away codes, and Twitch exploded. Um, that's not really a AAA game. That's a free-to-play game from a free-to-play developer, although I'm not 100% sure if it is going to be free-to-play yet. But... It is from a free-to-play developer. People are flocking to games like, I mean, anything free-to-play. Those are they're the games that are huge right now. Apex Legends. Um, you just go on and on. The kids are <laughs> flocking to those games that have gigantic communities, have long unlocked chains where you're constantly unlocking stuff. You're constantly getting flair. You're constantly getting cosmetics. Or freeform model like Minecraft or some, or Animal Crossing yeah. or something similar. Like. And that's, you know, the, the industry is going to have to adjust to these Gen Z kids that are expecting something different who were raised on screen time on mobile devices and not normal consoles. Like, you know, you're going to have to, to shift to that. Like, that's always going to happen. But, you know, that happens with every generational turnover. And a lot of times the previous generation thinks the new, the new hotness is a step backwards or a step down. And you even saw that. Again, I'm rereading some of my old game magazines uh, to pass the time. And I found uh, there's a bunch, 91, 92, 93. There's all these letters from people complaining about how Super Mario Brothers has destroyed the creativity of video games. <laughs> about how Nintendo is going to suck all the creativity out of video. Imagine saying that now right. about Nintendo. You know, yeah. Even as someone who isn't a huge Nintendo fan, like 
you gonna sit there and tell me Nintendo isn't creative? That Nintendo yeah. didn't move things forward every single time they made a major. You, know, you just you can't see it when you're in the middle of it, and eventually well, we'll look think... back and be like, "Oh, this was such an innovative time," and da 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 da. But like, you can't always see it when it's happening because it has, like you said, the execution hasn't happened yet. Well, I think the other things that we can't see that have happened that have changed the way younger players look at and consume and play video games is esports. The po- the possibility that if you get good enough at playing a video game that you can get rich, and YouTubers or and influencers. Or at least that could be your job. Yeah, or and YouTubers and influencers, where if you become an expert at a particular game, your YouTube channel could explode, and you could become rich that way. Gamers have more motivations now to play video games than we did when we were growing up. I purely played video games to have fun. That was it. There was no other motivation whatsoever. That's all I had. Now... You're an eight year old. My nieces and nephews, they're like six and seven years old. They already launched their YouTube channels. Like, I was six or seven. I was still, like, out in the yeah. backyard hitting baseballs with it, like, hitting rocks with a stick. Like, my niece is 11 changed. and she does, she does Instagram, like, art commissions. Yeah. I mean, that's what like, I'm it's saying. Amazing. Like, it's just all of everything has shifted for youth today. So um, they're not right and they're not wrong. Um, it's just the way society is now. I'm glad that there are other things that will get kids into gaming. That's the way I look at it. If, you know, if somebody wants to join gaming just so they can play League of Legends and try to make the LCS and become an esports athlete, that is great because I guarantee you as he gets older, he's going to start playing other video games. If somebody wants to do it to become a YouTuber, that's great because they can become an evangelist to get other people into loving video games. So, um I think it's all good, it's all gravy, it's just different from when I grew up anyway. And I think a lot of you, honestly, because I looked at our demographics and it, our demographics are pretty freaking amazing, by the way. I don't know if you'll ever see a website that skews at our age. Definitely not a gaming website. So I think a lot of you guys are on the same level with uh, where we're at. So anything else to add to we're that? We're old. You're saying we're old. <laughs> well, someone put in the comments that kids don't uh, breathe money, don't breathe into the video game industry. Put money in the industry. Yeah, they oh, they they're not the ones do. that feed the industry. It's it's. All the... their parents do. Their parents' credit cards absolutely do. Like all these kids have like their parents' credit card hooked up into Fortnite or hooked up into League of Legends, and their parents give them a budget. All my brothers and sisters do this. Their kids who are at age of playing like free to play games, they have a budget and they have their credit card set up, and yeah, they're absolutely putting money into it. They're just not buying the traditional packaged $60 game anymore. They're playing a free-to-play game that in a lot of cases, they're dumping way more than $60 into per year. So um, it's just different strokes for different folks. I think we should be accepting of everyone and see how all these different people contribute to more money coming into the industry so that we get more games that we like, like God of War or Cyberpunk 2077. So it's, instead of, Swimming against the grain of these people. Let's swim with them. Like, we can make the industry better together. That's the way I look at it. So, all right. That's it for Game Face Episode 206. This room that I am in, I think it's about 100 degrees at this point. Uh, From all the gear in here with the door closed, I am, like, sweating. Um, It's also brighter than it was. Yeah, I don't know why that is, honestly. Because the sun... Yeah, the sun usually goes down and it comes in through our other window over here as the day goes on. So I don't know what's I think going. It all, I think I think this the cloud cover like moved that away. Could that could be. I will say this: it has been very weird doing this show sitting here um, as the host, trying to keep a conversation going with people I can't see. I haven't been able to see Mitch at all, 
Matt pops up every once in a while on my screen. Um, I think the show got better as it went on. I think I got a better handle on it. Uh, but give me a little leeway here while I get this sorted out. Uh, production values, we'll keep trying to improve those. Uh, get Make sure that the audio is better with every pressing week. Um, but Mitch, Mitch is the man. He jumped on the grenade. He went into the studio today to handle the show. Mitch, thank you, man, for doing that. Of course. Anytime. That's what uh, I'm here we'll, for, right? Yep. And <laughs> yeah. And uh, we'll be back next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern for the next episode. So, guys, um, we're all in this together. I know it sucks, and I know it's really starting to grate on everybody at this point, myself included. I'm right there with you. Um, but thank God we're gamers. I mean, really, thank God, because all my friends who aren't are absolutely going bonkers right now. So we have that. Um, and you'll have us because we're going to be here for you guys uh, until this crazy madness finally comes to an end. So everybody have a great week. Stay safe. Stay inside. Game Face is up and out. <laughs>